This episode is brought to you by Trichome, natural performance skincare. Trichome brings you natural, simple, and effective products with short, easy-to-read ingredient lists. Whether it's a hot summer day at the range or a brisk winter night in the woods, Trichome has your skin protected with everything from balms to beard oils. Lock in moisture and defy the elements safely and effectively with Trichome. Go to trichomeco.com and use code LETHAL10 at checkout for 10% off your order. That's T-R-I-C-O-M-B-E-C-O.com. Did you did you go on any other big hunts last year besides your uh, your goat hunt, your mountain goat hunt? Uh, yeah, you know, it was funny. I kind of left the whole month of September to make that happen. And we, uh, we ended up doing it the first day and, uh, you shot that thing on the first day. <laughs> yeah. Opening day. <laughs> um, the, the crazy don't, thing. Don't, was... don't, don't tell the story yet. Because, well, I mean, hell, it can't be that much of a story if it all happened in <laughs> opening day on well, the it's... pictures I've seen. It doesn't look like it's very late in the afternoon. So it's uh it's still a pretty decent story but yeah we got um jeremy and i got in there in the dark and we had a couple of guys coming in uh the next day but we got in in the dark and we left in the dark and kind of had a plan on where we were going to go so we got up there and, and we we glassed around for a while and anyways ended up finding the goat but we got back that night and the other two of our party had showed up and and uh so like oh you know how to go this and that and i was i was gonna kind of mess with them and i was you know just say you know this we've had enough this this is like crazy (laughs) crazy crazy country we're out of (laughs) here and just you know totally piss them off that they just hiked for like seven hours with 70 pounds on their back and uh but anyway so we kind of told them that you know the news or whatever and they were like well what what was wrong with the two above your tent and we like look over there and there's like two just bomber billies like right above on a ridge above our tent and we got in there in the dark and left we had no idea and that's the whole so time, the whole the whole time, these two big billies were like right above our tent. That's hilarious. Well, so. n- not to not to jump into the story too too soon because I I do want you to talk about it. But your your Billy was pretty. He was pretty big, wasn't he? I remember like I remember the picture, thinking, "Whoa, like that's a that's a big goat." Yeah, and uh, you know, to for body me, body size it, wise, I guess I don't I don't know what a rack for a for a billy should look like, but body size it, it looked decent size to me. I, I don't I don't know either, and that was my whole thing going up there. I said I I don't care how long this thing is, I don't care what it scores, I don't, I don't care anything about that. I just want a mature like billy because to me, the trophy in a mountain goat is you know just the size, and the cave, one. and the size, and yeah. The, the hunt so uh no he was the oldest goat killed in that unit that year so um, i I achieved what i was after and and i I didn't really know you know sometimes that's just the way it works but yeah um, yeah but after so you asked me if i went on any other hunts i guess i'd uh, circle back on that but so i set that whole month aside and then we came out and i had some some time and i i kind of spent some time at home yeah and uh and just relaxed just because of you know, kind of some of the, uh, I guess underlying reasons for me kind of being there. It was kind of a, an emotional deal for me and we can get yeah. into it later. But, um, so I took some time at home and was just with my family. And then there was like three days left of elk season. And I called my, my brother-in-law and I said, Hey, I, I think I might come down that way if you want to go out. And, uh, 
and look for an elk and so he's like yeah sure so he's uh he's got young kids right now i think the oldest one is eight and the smallest one is five and the 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 five-year-old is a boy and so he wanted to he's like do you care if uh if biggie that's his little boy goes along with us and i said no Mm -hmm. i don't care i i had i had no expectations you know i just thought well this is an opportunity to to get out again and uh sure so we were kind of it's kind of flatter land where we were at and we were kind of hiking around and we heard one faint bugle kind of high up in the timber so i said oh you know there's a there's a bull up there so let's just kind of let's kind of slow go and make sure that you know uh lauren is his his first name and lauren can keep up and we'll just go slow and see what happens and um, we just kind of followed it for a while, probably like an hour. And finally I could tell they were kind of slowing down, getting close to a bedding area. And, uh, we just went s- slow, played it right. We got in uh pretty tight to them, probably within 75 yards. And I just told, you know, my brother-in-law, I said, I'm, you know, get set up back here. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of blow this call. And when I do just start breaking, breaking stuff and I'm going to kind of scoot up here 20 yards from where I called or 30 yards. And I'm just basically going to stay put and, Mm-hmm. and uh we did it and you know five second five seconds later there's a rack coming over the hill and 30 yards <laughs> stop broadside and put an arrow in him and um three three hours of elk hunting then we had a three uh i think a 330 bull on the ground so Gee whiz, that's a good bull it was uh it was definitely a good bull and uh <laughs> my little nephew was just like holy you know he was like oh this <laughs> this this is bow hunting and i said that that will never happen again in, in our life <laughs> lifetime Lauren so uh, but it, it was cool to have him there and, and the, the way it, the way it went down and uh, so super super fortunate to, to take that bowl and uh, and that that was pretty awesome and then uh, last year let's see what else did I do I, I went after I didn't really go after a deer I was kind of looking for a, a pretty big one and if I figured if I didn't find it I was just gonna um, you know I wasn't gonna mess with it last year because sure. I was pretty pretty busy and so i ended up not and uh so no i think the the elk the the mount goat and the elk were uh the two well, yeah, last a, year. Hell yeah it was a combined uh 14 hours in the woods i mean geez i'd uh <laughs> I'd, I'd take a break too <laughs> yeah i needed, needed to rest up but uh <laughs> no i mean all... one day in that that in that country and we were in southern colorado in the in the mm-hmm. women or I, I don't know if it's called the women or the women but uh it is it is some nasty some of the nastiest country i've been in yeah i remember you uh um you didn't you draw that on like two preference points or something like you got i thought you said you got really lucky on it uh no i think i had a six weighted point so i think i oh, was okay. in All right. five about eight eight nine years oh okay well that, that would make sense then but yeah, I remember yeah. you uh, when you drew that, and uh, we were chatting, and you told me what unit it was, and and I looked it up, and I was like, "Oh man, that looks gross." And you're like, "Yeah, this is like really, really difficult terrain to to navigate." So uh, glad uh glad it worked out, man. I, I I had no idea it was on the first day. That's that's great. Um, so uh, tonight we are hanging out with Neil Emick. Uh, he's a buddy of ours. Uh, also uh, guides on the side. Um a very uh talented bow hunter and we are uh we're happy to pick his brain tonight um obviously neil is from uh the west uh did you did you grow up in colorado or did you uh are you like everyone else from colorado and came from somewhere else (laughs) 
No, I, I'm one of the originals. Wow, um, you're a you're a rare breed then. <laughs> yeah, get, getting rarer. But no, I was born in the the southeast corner, in a real small down there, a small town down there, and uh, mm-hmm. and spent most of my life in uh, in Colorado. I went to to college here, and then after that, I skipped out. Uh, kind of all around the world there for a while, for about a decade, and then came back in 2010. There you go. So a little, little, little world traveling going on there. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. I I skipped around for a little bit between the military and post college jobs, and then uh, ended up back in Kansas City in the Midwest. And ugh, I should have stayed in Colorado when I was there, probably. But <laughs> no, I'm married and have a house I like and a wife that I like and all that fun stuff. So it didn't turn out too bad, I suppose. Uh, no. So, so did you? What was that? No, no. It's good to have a wife that you like and a house that you like for sure. Yeah, right. That's that's what I say. Uh, so, did you grow up hunting like Western game? Is that is that something that you like drew you back to Colorado after you ran around a little bit? You know, I did, but it was nothing. Um, you know, the hunting was nothing like it, it is now, or my hunting was sure. wasn't like it is now i grew up um to a ranching family and uh, you know my my exposure to hunting then was was rifle hunting and it was really mm. just kind of you got a tag and you were riding around feeding cows and if you saw a deer or an antelope or whatever you kind of just got out and shot it or you know made somewhat of a stock with my uncles and sure and my dad uh he hunted a little i think he i was with him on one deer hunt when i was fairly young probably like you know five to seven and then uh i remember him shooting one other deer when i was you know kind of early teenage years and then um and he went on a couple of elk trips but um just not super into it i don't think and some of my uncles were a little bit more into it and so um yeah just kind of hung around them and and uh started out rifle hunting and then I always when i was little i always had a recurve and i was always just flinging arrows at stuff and uh you know just kind of having fun and then i that kind of stuck with me and it kind of started to develop more and i finally got to a point where one of my uncles picked up a bow and was actually kind of um trying to hunt a mule deer with it out there and Mm -hmm. um he never harvested one but he got like really close and got some shots and and i just remember thinking well you know if my uncle david can do this like you know i'm i'm really kind of thinking this could be fun and so it you know it's possible to get close enough and then you just got to get an arrow in these things and uh right and so that it kind of just i i remember you know that that time of my life when he was kind of playing with the bow and i i got into it and just you know i just wanted to do it i just wanted to kind of spot and stalk a mule deer and and uh so you know, like anybody, I just, or most guys, I just kind of bought a bow. It was a piece of junk. I had no idea what I was <laughs> doing, and my equipment was, you know, miserable to say the least. But sure. that's that's just the way it goes, you know. You get into it, and you don't know right from wrong, and uh, you, you don't know what you don't know. So I just started started hunting and learning stuff along the way and picking stuff up from other guys that knew more than me. And Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to got to start somewhere i guess no one no one jumps in head first and learns everything right off the bat or, or knows everything right off the bat you can and even then after you've been told and you learn it's still sometimes it's hard to get it through my thick skull at least to to, re, to really uh absorb it and uh and be able to implement it 
So what uh did you uh, are you uh are you, what do you call yourself? Are you are you more of a muley guy? Like is that really what uh what trips your trigger? Yeah, you know, I think just growing up with mule deer, I've always kind of just had an affinity for them, and mm-hmm. I I think it is just that. Um, yeah, I'm kind of a muley nut. I like elk. I like everything else, but uh, mule deer are where it's at for me, and hmm. you know, spotting spotting stock. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I am uh, well, I'm a western noob, but like the one game animal well there there's two game animals i feel like this might make me a bad uh outdoorsman mule deers don't do a ton a ton for me and antelope don't do a ton for me uh uh, granted i would i would like to hunt both but i'm not like like just drooling over mule deer and antelope hunts but uh Mm -hmm. but the, the majority of mule deer hunts that i've seen typically involve finding them where they're bedded down midday stalking around to like get behind them wait for them to get up and then plunk them when they get up is that generally how it how it works uh for for the most part yeah i mean generally that's a pretty good um kind of synopsis of it but yeah you're just out kind of scouting you know glassing and, and looking for them and then yeah mm-hmm. the the uh, the goal is to bet them and and make a play if there's a play to be made and sometimes i think um, you know, one of the mistakes that people make is just trying to rush it. Sometimes it's, you just shouldn't be going in and you've got embedded sure. and you think that, oh, I can, you know, I can make, make this work. And more often than not, it, uh, it doesn't work out for you. And, and, uh, and so I think part of it is just patience, you know, making sure mm-hmm, that every, mm-hmm. everything's right and everything's in order before you go in. Cause the thing with, uh, you know, mule deer is they can be fairly docile, but you start, you know, kind of edging, educating them once, twice, three times, and then they become a totally different animal. And all of a sudden yeah. you're, you're hunting something that's on high alert after about the second stock. So you better, if you want to put the odds in your favor, it's good to, to get it done, you know, the yeah. first time or the second time. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I guess that, I mean, it does sound fun. Uh, it's just, it's very, it's very different. So like, even as a Midwestern guy, from Missouri, like I can still, uh, I know I'm about to rile some elk people up, but I can <laughs> still, I can relate to elk hunting through turkey hunting because it's kind of similar. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, uh, call and response kind of thing, and and uh, you know, and and stalk your prey more or less, or at least get in a position to. Uh, but mule deer, there's not really anything like it here in the Midwest, and maybe that's where my my disconnect is. But I guess the, the mule deer hunting I've seen that I'm like, yeah, that looks awesome. Is kind of uh, I think it's up in Nebraska. Um, I don't know if it's the Black Hills or Sand Hills, uh, but it's it looks very deserty, and they basically just like bed down in these like in the shadows, like underneath these kind of cliff things and mm-hmm. then you then you that's how you put the stock on them and it looks like a much more uh, forgi- forgiving uh environment than the uh than the uh, the rocks that uh that further west you go that you run into that it just looks terrifying you make one one bad step and you're you're tumbling for a minute yeah yeah you know and the, we do a lot on the kind of the eastern side of the state and like i said that's where i grew up so it it Mm -hmm. varies from you know there's like cedar cedar country and cedar mesas to 
CRP, which is a government um, conservation reserve program, which turns it yeah. back, you mm -hmm. know, farm ground into natural grassland. And, yep. Yep. Um, little draws washes to just pasture land, you know, and then ag land farm. So, you know, there's kind of variety of stuff that you can get into with them, but uh, every situation's you know different and kind of calls for a little bit different approach. And yeah, so it keeps it kind of fun. Huh. Well, you're making me more interested in mule deer, which might be dangerous for me. Um, so we, you you started bow hunting. You got a bow. Didn't know what you were doing. None of us did. What what made you like go over the edge? for because i mean you're you seem to be a much more serious bow hunter now than you were uh at least that you're describing uh, when you started yeah you know i i think it was a combination of of kind of getting a taste of it and then i was probably 18 then when the compound mm -hmm. you know my first introduction to a compound Sure. And uh, so it was shortly after that that I left for college. And then in college, I did pretty minimal hunting. Right. Um, yeah, me too, unfortunately. And then, like I said, I graduated college and I uh, moved overseas and lived in Australia for a while, took a job over there. And um, in Euro I was in Europe for a while and then came back and took a job oh, wow. in, in Dallas, Texas and which most of the work that we did there was international so i was um you know a lot of work in dubai china uh russia we were kind of all over the place a lot in mexico oh, wow. yeah. and, the, and the caribbean and and it was just kind of a well i'll just say it was a demanding job i mean there was a lot of hours but at that point sure. in my life i was kind of eager and, and hungry for the, the the experience and the work and so i just kind of you know took it on but the older you know, the more time i put into it the more i kind of saw the writing on the wall as far as you know the time that was required or expected and then you know having a family or kind of just wanting to do you know maybe some of your you know, some of your other stuff, some of your hobbies. And sure. It, yeah. Yeah. It, it didn't leave a lot of time. So I kind of made a decision to come back in, to Colorado or at least get closer to home in 2010. Um, and I think really I didn't get serious in, into bow hunting until 2011 or 12. Hmm. So I, I didn't really pick it back up. Uh, I mean, I, I've definitely kind of tinkered with it along the way and I killed like right. may, maybe one or two animals in, a, right. you know, let's say from like 2000 to 2010. Right. But it was after that, that I kind of just decided, Hey, this is, this is what I want to do. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm going to put the guns away for a little bit and I really sure. just want to kind of invest my time and in, into this sport. And, um, and so I did, I kind of just started, we, uh, uh, I have some cousins that are pretty big into it too. And so we have a group of guys, some of my uncles that still, we pack into the, the wilderness on horses and I uh, go after elk and, mm -hmm. and the first couple of years that I, I was getting back into it, maybe 2011, 12, 13 and something, something like that. We had, uh, we had some pretty good success, but we also had like a number of failures and, uh, you know elk that were hit and we thought hit well that just were never recovered hmm. and some that were you know not sh shot not so well um one for instance that a, a cousin um his brother-in-law shot it high in the spine and just kind of pancaked it and we thought that it was a done deal the elk just stood up and then he just took off hmm. 
and uh, just enough to kind of shock the system. But then uh, yeah, and, yeah. and never found that bull. And so it, it wasn't through knowing anything. I just thought, well, you know, I kind of got frustrated and just thought if, if there – if this is going to be this hard or, you know, this kind of unethical, then I, I don't know if it's for me or I just kind of started having a lot of questions. Like I wanted, uh, you know, we were, we were thinking we were having success and you're high five and then all of a sudden it's just, you know, kind of that empty feeling and like, Oh yeah. No, like shoot. Yeah. And so it, it just started me down a, a road of really kind of getting into, to arrow setups and, to, you know, archery. And, and I'm just the type of person that, I don't know. I'm a little bit OCD in a way that like, if I get stuck on something, like I just, uh, I'm really kind of get stuck on it and I want to know about it. I want to, sure. I want to figure it out. I want to figure out why it didn't work and, uh, and see if there's ways to improve. And so, you know, that just led me down a whole new rabbit hole. And, um, <laughs> and you, you know, even, even a compound bow, it's, it's a fairly complicated, um, you know, piece of equipment. And so, mm-hmm. Even I didn't understand it. I didn't understand, you know, cam timing and, you know, how all that worked. And so I really kind of started asking questions about that and uh, trying to figure it out. And and the more I got into it, the more I learned, okay, that there's, uh, you know, there's something to this tuning thing and tune, not only tuning a bow, but tuning arrows and, and kind of getting the max efficiency out of every piece of, of uh, your arsenal. And to me that it just made, it made sense. I've only got so much energy when I, right, you know, when right. I let go of this string and I need to find a way to, to utilize it the best that I can. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, bow, bow wise, you know, from having something finely tuned, that's launching your, you know, your arrow, um, efficiently and your flights as efficient as it can be. And then also your arrows is efficient, you know, in its ability to do work once it hits a, an animal or your, your intended target. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we've, we've talked about this before with, uh, confidence um, and gaining confidence after you tune your equipment well and you understand your equipment um, and you even uh, you're doing you're doing a little bit of guiding now uh, um, maybe a little bit is is underselling you I'm not I'm not totally sure but uh, uh, you do you experience where guys will come into camp and the guy that may not know anything about his gear you can just feel the lack of confidence in them or vice versa where the guy that knows everything about his gear is just oozing with confidence and do you do you think that that normally uh results in uh success or failure uh you know i I think that there's certainly something to that i mean we have guys that come out and they they just know their stuff and some of the you know our guys i learned stuff from you know, they're older than me. They have more experience. And, um, and then we have other guys that, yeah, they just, they look nervous and you can tell they don't really know much about their bow. They don't know much about their arrow. They're just, uh, you know, and some of them, they may be kind of older, you know, older guys or even, Mm -hmm. you know, our age. And, uh, they may have just started bow hunting, you know, a year or two and maybe they have the money to pay for a guided hunt. And that's part of their way of learning is just getting in front of somebody that knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so yeah, uh, yeah, you see a wide variety of, of, uh, you know, people and, and their experience levels for sure. Yeah. No, I, I know that, uh, when I started, uh, uh, doing, uh, <laughs> doing the devil's work and bear shaft tuning, if you ask, depending on who you ask, 
uh, I my confidence went through the roof because then after I was properly bear shaft tuned, then when I strapped fletchings onto the back of the arrow, I realized that my form could break down to an extent, but my form could break down and the shot would still typically end up okay. Uh, and I would like, I would do this on purpose. I would, you know, uh, create a wrong grip position and p- apply torque to the bow, uh, uh, you know, not completely follow through how I should on a shot. And man, when things are tuned, it, it really helps. <laughs> there's, there's so much more forgiveness that's built in there when, when everything's tuned. And that just made me uh, an immensely more confident hunter. Uh, and, and just knowing that, you know, when I, when I put my pin uh, on the animal, the arrow is going to go where that pin is, and and I felt I felt very uh, empowered by that. I guess you could say. Yeah, no, and I'd I'd say it's pretty similar for me. I'm if if I don't feel that I have everything tuned and everything's just so, and I'm leaving and my broadheads are hitting three you know three inches right, I'm not the type of guy that will just move my sight to accommodate my broadheads. Right. Yep. Because I know somewhere along the line I've got I've got a problem, mm-hmm. and it it ultimately means to me I I have less than superior flight, which means that I'm I'm losing energy. Um, I could impact you know an animal at at an angle if I've got like a a porpoising or a you know a a fishtailing issue, which is you know a major robber of um, you know kind of a thief of energy. So yeah, um, yes, it is. It, it's super important to me and. Um, but we, we have guys, you know, I guess you just kind of know, we, we kind of go through and, and, and check our, you know, check guys and check equipment. And, uh, you, you can tell the the guys that show up every year and their stuff's ready mm-hmm. to roll and, and guys that just aren't, but, and, and we have instances where, you know, you, that, that causes problems either, you know, on a shot on an animal where everything just kind of falls apart or, you know, when you're just, you're shooting a target and stuff's not hitting right. And, um, so, yeah, it's, uh, when you, when you have these guys that show up where either they're, they're having issues with their equipment or there's a major lack of confidence. Has there, has there ever been a time when you've, since you've been guiding that it's, uh, I don't want to say like a refusal because that that makes it look like you are uh, they've already paid up and then you're you're telling them no, uh, but a uh, a strong suggestion to uh, maybe try something different. Like once they've gotten camp and maybe maybe luckily their bow is tuned and you can you can strap on a different broadhead and not have a a real big issue. Has that has that been something that's ever happened before? Um, you know, I guess with that, you just kind of have to be a little bit careful of who it is if you know sure. somebody. Oh, because... yeah. Well, men are an egotistical breed, believe me. <laughs> I, I, I know. Yeah, and also if you change somebody's equipment or try to change something and all of a sudden they miss, then they can turn back on you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. Very, um, very true. But, you know, I had a client, a good client, and he's, he's prepared and um, he's super serious and... Uh, you know, we, we had a good buck, kind of a 185 type deer, and we went in on him, and uh, 
I think the first the first shot we had was like a 40 yard shot. It was just kind of a miscommunication. Um, I kind of told him the range, and he thought it was further, so we went with his range and uh, and shot right under him. And then we end up stalking that deer like three or four four more times, and by the end it was I mean that deer kind of knew what was going on, which made it more mm-hmm. difficult, but. I think we missed, we ended up missing like four or five times in, in one, in one afternoon, we stalked the same deer, like, you know, that many times. And I started to kind of notice that, that everything was high and right or Mm -hmm. high and left. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so we, we kind of got done. And one thing I noticed, you know, when I was looking at his bow, kind of checking it out is he had a really weird gapping in his pins you know, 20 mm-hmm. to 20 to 30 and then 30 to 40 was kind of, you know, like as tight. And then 40 to 50 had this really big gap. And then 50 to 60 was kind of, you know, marginal in my right. mind. Y- you can tell a lot just by looking at your pin gap yeah, um, yeah. because that's reflecting a trajectory, right? It's telling you mm-hmm. what your, your arrow is doing as far as trajectory and how flat it's starting out, how long, how long it's staying flat. And then where it's, you know, how it's tapering off and, and an arrow is not going to do that where it's flat and then all of a sudden it takes a dive and then it flattens out again. And so, right, right. so by looking at your pins, you can kind of instantly kind of diagnose, okay, something, you know, maybe I have a porpoising issue and this, this thing at 50 yards is, is kind of on its nose down and, and hitting, you know, low or high or, or whatever. And it's causing your pin to do that. So I kind of saw it, but I didn't want to say anything. He just said it was shooting good. Um, so I, I didn't, you know, and at that point you're getting ready to go and you don't really want to rattle somebody up and say, oh, well, your 50, sure. 50 yeah. pins all screwed up. Right. Yeah. Um, but we got out that day and I made him shoot at a, a target after we got done. And, you know, he was a foot high and, and six inches to the left and completely moved the tar- missed the target. And, mm. um, you know, I don't know if it was a side issue and it got bumped because he said he was shooting and it and it was doing well or a rest issue. But we were kind of at the end of our hunt that day. And so we never really truly resolved it. I don't know what right. happened, but, you know, and then uh, so that that's part of it. Now, I I just ask guys, you know, to take a shot before we go on a stock. That way we can just kind of ver- feel verify that that um, everything's ready to roll. Yeah. And, uh, sometimes it, you know, it kind of rattles them shooting in front of somebody, but it's just like, yeah. it's okay. Let's just make sure that we're kind of in the vicinity and everything feels good to you. Nothing crazy. Like all of a sudden it's bouncing off your rest or something. Right. And, but we also have guys that show up and I don't know if they've taken their bow out of the case in the last five years. It's like knock the dust <laughs> off of it and then shoot it. And you know, their 60 pin is two feet low. And yeah. we, we have to basically sight in a bow and do kind of some, you know, some infield in tuning. Um, so, but, you know, it's it's kind of their deal. I would like it, you know, at least uh, I wish yeah. they would put, put more time into it for the... Yeah, the, it's, it's their, their money. Yeah. I mean, the only thing about that is there's an animal on the other end of that. And right. So, yeah, it's a serious thing. Yeah, so uh, you, you always want, but you can't, con- you know, you just can't control that. You kind of sure, do, do what sure. you can when they're there. But do th- this is me being ignorant. Do um, if I were to book a hunt with a guide, do most guides uh, uh contact you and ask like kind of ask what equipment you're running or planning on running? Is that uh, uh, is that common? Is that something that somebody should look for in a guide or or not? I guess. 
you know I, I don't know if it's if it's common practice we uh on our elk stuff we we kind of talk to clients and kind of in, encouraged um you know some heavier weights since you know certain broadheads right. are at least fixed um and then one of our guys i actually i tried kind of running through rob and and helping him get a setup made because he was just like well I'm kind of new to this, so whatever you guys recommend, we want to do. And then oh, yeah, it, it, it it can be super difficult because then I call the shop in Minnesota, and then they were telling him, telling the guy that I was crazy and like 550 grains was like insane. And so then he he's questioning me, and it, it can honestly be super frustrating. No, oh, I um, bet. Yeah, because you're kind of you're rolling the dice to see how accepting they're going to be to that for sure. Well, and you're dealing with two different worlds. You're dealing with the Western world and you're dealing with an Eastern world where, you know, Very you've got true. different animals, different hunting styles. And so for an Eastern guy to say that's crap to a Western hunt or a Western animal to me, but you, you get it a lot. And especially with heavier setups, there's a lot of guys um, that aren't really on board um, just because of what they, they, you know, maybe what they hunt or sure. Uh, I don't know, maybe they just haven't, you know, kind of been exposed or they don't see the value in it and they, they like the right. setup that they have, which is fine, but Yeah, yeah. Well speak of the devil, Rob is here. Hi Rob. How's it going? Hi Rob. <laughs> Good. <laughs> thanks for thanks for being here. Rob uh is on call, so he has been taking phone calls all day, really. It's been yeah. all night. <laughs> yeah. And uh it hasn't, hasn't stopped. stopped. It was actually me on the other line. I was asking him a tuning question. <laughs> hey, I never I th- mind when you call Neil. I think I owe Rob about two thousand dollars to date. <laughs> we'll have to work out a price structure. Yeah, we may. Well, cash in on a on some guided hunt credit is what exactly. it sounds like. Exactly, it's just yeah. I'm building credits. There yeah, you go. that's right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, uh, Rob, in case you, uh, missed what we were just talking about, we are just chatting about how, uh, you know, some, when they talk to some guys that are about to hunt bigger game like elk and they're coming from, uh, us flat landing whitetail land people, yep. uh, to, to the West and they don't, I don't think they realize that they're shooting mountain horses, uh, and not the... 150 pound german shepherds uh that you know you might be used to in the southern part of the states where you have these tiny little white-tailed deer that aren't even that big so um, it's definitely a different world and that's the i I very much remember the situation that neil was just talking about where we were trying to assist that gentleman and it can be a challenge yeah, I mean, sure. it's the the tough part is that regardless of what science says, regardless of what, you know, those of us that deal with this stuff know and understand, a person has to be willing to mm-hmm. listen and willing to learn and adjust. Yeah, yeah you know? and a, a lot of times I found it, it, it takes failure. It takes mm-hmm. something going awfully wrong to make them start questioning anything, well, which sometimes, I, I, I get it. I mean, it can take multiple failure because one can be a fluke. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I mean, not saying that failure can't occur with, with the setups that we recommend because it can. Mm-hmm. 
It, you know, there's things that are outside of our control. But when, you know, you catch a shoulder blade and you just go, well, I, I made a bad shot. That's not the setup's fault. That That's my fault. Right. You know, instead of looking at that and going, how can we improve it? You know, it's until it causes enough pain and, and heartache, a lot of times guys don't see a problem because it's normal. They're, they're looking at that going, well, nothing would get through that. Like, that's just what it is. Right. And until you either, you know, finally get fed up with it or you somehow get hooked up with someone and see a better setup perform, a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, the eyes don't open. The ears aren't listening. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even just like, well, like we've talked about like 3D a bit on and off. Like just, you know, guys with, with better setups getting out and shooting at local events and, and in different local clubs, that's exposing people to what can be achieved with a better setup. Yeah. You know, that, like the discussion that we had uh, in the chat yesterday, Matt, about, you know, heavy arrows. And the guy was talking about, you know, accuracy. And you don't see people using, you know, all these heavy arrows for, you know, competitive or for 3D because mm-hmm. they're not accurate. It's like, well, I just took fifth in a tournament. I haven't shot in a month and a half because I've been traveling. And I am by no means the best shot in the world. But I was running a 950 grain arrow. Out to like 45 yards, unmarked yardage. Like, I went 16 up and was in the top five. Yeah. Like, that's nothing, you know, that's not a phenomenal score by any means. I was not happy with it. But that's, you know, for most guys, that's good. And, yeah, I'd be I'd be happy with sixteen up, <laughs> and you know that's with an arrow that's twice as heavy as most of these guys. So, oh yeah, and like I had conversations with a handful of people there that were like, I shot my bow, and they're like, "Man, what what bow is that?" I'm like an RX three. Like I, I could have sworn those were louder. I'm like, well, I mean, it it is eight pounds, <laughs> so I mean, it is a little louder, but you know, I, I am shooting this. <laughs> and then you know your jaws hit the watch floor. The, watch the eyes and get all wide. And what are it's you doing? Like a couple of them. I I ended up just finally saying that that I was I was prepping for a a cull buffalo hunt because they just couldn't get over why I would use it. <laughs> I'm like, oh well, I've got friends. There's some opportunities that might be coming up with some buffalo, <laughs> which is partially <laughs> true. But it's not really on my radar. (laughs) But, you know, guys don't, guys that haven't seen it don't understand it. And so, I mean, that's in person. Trying to do it over the phone with someone that wasn't already looking is a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, and especially when you have a guy that's, that's willing, even though he... You know, he he's just taking your advice, but then you have the local pro shop 
that is advising him against it or telling yeah. him, you, him you have conflicting that you're crazy. You know, so then he's in a position where he's like, well, who's right and who's who wrong? Who do I trust? Exactly. So. And in, in my book, nine times out of ten, trust your guide. Tr- trust your outfitter. Yeah. Okay. Like your local shop, unless you live in an area that has the animal you're pursuing, they more than likely don't have, you know, all that much experience, if any, with that animal. Right. The guy well, that's taking you out for that animal lives it. Well, that's right. what I, I said. I said, are you in the shop? He said, yeah. I said, how many elk are hanging on the wall? He said, none. I said, okay. <laughs> Tell exactly. you everything you need to know right there. And not that those guys aren't capable of killing an elk, but you know they—it's it, just that they—they they don't have you know the the luxury that I do, just having them in my backyard, essentially living in Colorado. Yeah. You know that's just what what we hunt day in and day out. So, yeah. but you know he- heavy setups are just kind of funny because my my journey—it wasn't like I went from a 400 grain arrow to a 650 grain arrow. It was the guys at Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear, the the makers of the cutthroat, on uh, the clums. They uh, great people, great people. They mm-hmm. are they're, they're very good people, and um, they. Uh, I had a shot, a failure on a, a a really big black bear, and it was with the trad bow. And um, you mess around with the stick bow? <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple I stick did, bows. I didn't know that. Yeah, all right, all right, I, all right. I've actually built a number of stick bows. Oh my god! But don't yeah, t- I've, I'm way nice. out of the loop. All right, <laughs> don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> Oops, too late. So yeah, I think uh, here in a little bit I might put down the compound because my next endeavor is to start killing some or killing animals with something that I made myself. So yes, very nice. Yes. Um, but anyway, so I, you know, they they kind of started walking me, you know, down this road, and the clums were responsible for where I am today, to be honest. And it it was they were more traditional guys at the time. In fact, they were all traditional. Mm-hmm. They had a huge traditional shop. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and they said, they kept recommending more weight to me. And I was like, guys, I mean, these things are like, you know, I don't even know if it'll come out of the bow if I put that much more weight on it. <laughs> and uh, and I just didn't grasp the concept. You know, I didn't understand momentum. I didn't understand weight and, you know, the, the value of it. Um, and so it was like adding 50 grains here and then 50 grains. And it was, you know, like annually. And finally, I kind of got to a point where it was like, okay you know this this makes sense like stuff is is changing for me i'm seeing yeah. you know more success and although i don't understand every kind of nook and cranny of this whole thing like uh, i i buy it you know i'm it's definitely yeah. there's definitely something to this and uh so th- those guys uh like i said my my setup and my success with archery i mean i i owe a lot to them and they're, they're i mean those guys are just murderers i mean that i would oh yeah <laughs> yeah they are and and with stick bows i mean it danny and um tommy and and uh dan or tom senior yep um just just kind of nuts and uh, like you said super good guys but so then, you know, I just started translating that into my compound too. And then you meet some more guys or they turn you on to a guy and then you find a good, you know, Facebook page and you, you find guys through there. And, um, there, there's just, there's not, there's not enough guys and, uh, you know, good guys and good information. And, 
And the West is so much different because where I grew up, I've never shot a target in my life as far as competition or going on a 3D shoot. Never. I've never been to one. Um, you know, the closest one would probably be, they don't exist on the Eastern Plains. The closest city is two hours. Your closest bow shop is two hours. Yeah, um, be tough. You know, we probably have one bow shop to every 30 of you know, starting probably somewhere along Kansas City is where it really starts to pick up, yeah. And, and yep. the the density and density increases. So, it, you know, your bow shops, your pro shops, you're more limited. And so, if the two in your entire state, or say the five in your entire state, if you've got one that's, you might have one that's full of knowledgeable guys, and right. then there, there might be two or three that are just a couple of guys that thought it would be fun, but they don't really know too much about it. And in fact, you know more than they do, and you don't know anything, so you're kind of like scratching your head when you go in there, like, <laughs> it, is is this where I, is this where I want to be? You know uh, enough to know that you don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know enough to get out of there. Um, and so then you just start looking for people and honestly, the guys that I turn to for advice and for, um, you know, for, for, to answer questions, they're scattered all over the United States. Uh, there's really not other than the clums. I can't think of anybody right in my back door, um, uh, which is kind of frustrating. Some, I wish I had somebody closer, but it, it's always somebody in, you know, Minnesota or Missouri or, you know, Kansas or, or whatever, but, um, you know, which is, is the great thing about kind of social media and some of these new groups and finding, you know, the good ones there, there's also a lot of negative, negative stuff that comes with social media and and groups. I think that it's easier to spread bad information as well. And, uh, it's, it's way easier because it's the easy way out. No one wants to actually take the time to learn and understand and, and give longer than a three word answer on things. It's well, uh, I, then I find, when you I find do it, give an answer, then people don't read it. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> I uh, I found that you know it. I, I'm I'm trying to like I'm trying to keep my blood pressure down thinking about it. Uh, you know, <laughs> you see all these posts. You know, uh, what's the best broadhead? What broadhead should I use? Yada yada. Oh, you know, yeah. what whatever those posts those ones and which i don't i don't generally have an issue with it's the responses that i have an issue with because then it's just insert whatever broadhead that that particular person is shooting slash pro staffing for and that's their response what like what broadhead should i shoot this year rage montek thorn what whatever like whatever the the list is is long yeah the list is long and then you'll run into a response from me or Rob or another like halfway insightful person where it's, uh, you know, it's longer than three words. It's like, well, let's unpack this for a minute. What are you hunting? You know, what's your what's your climate? What's your you know, what's your max distance? Uh, uh, what's your bow poundage? Yada, yada, you know, asking 20 questions. And then you'll see them like responding to people above and below you, and they just don't respond to you. It's like, okay, because you well, didn't answer their question. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They just they they want the easy way out. They don't want to engage. And that's you know, Neil. I think you you've talked about that before. Is you know, social media is a very double edged sword. You can you, there's a ton of information out there, but there's a ton of very poor it's information it, yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah. And, you've, and you've, it's 
it's tough to surround yourself with with intelligent people uh or or people that are at least above average intelligence i should say and 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 then be able and as a person who doesn't know a ton being able to tell the difference between the guy who actually knows what he's talking about and the one who doesn't but just yeah tries to put on a facade that they do well one thing that i've seen a lot of people do mostly like very new shooters um that i think works well is when you find someone that is making you think is asking you questions instead of just giving you blatant you know simple answers Mm -hmm. latch on to that person Mm-hmm. and use you know use their knowledge mm-hmm. let them be helpful and you know it's a lot easier to learn when you're listening to a singular source mm-hmm. because you don't have all these conflicting you know like back and forth arguments that pop up where you know you're trying to have a conversation with someone and someone else butts in and goes oh you don't need that it's overkill like it's uh i mean the trick is finding the right person yeah you gotta you gotta sift through a lot and sometimes it's it's challenging because like i said you don't know what you don't know and a lot of these guys it's not about being dumb or anything like that they just you you don't don't know you don't know Right. You're just you're just trying to find good information. And and when there's a lot of it out there and you're trying to sift through, you don't know what's good. You don't know what's Mm -hmm. bad. And and you so you've got to start finding kind of uh, you kind of got to start to get a, a little bit gather a little bit of information. And you do that, I think, by trying stuff and saying, okay, you know, these people said to do that and it didn't work. This one guy over here told me to do this and it worked. And uh and he did. He had a more thorough response. And, you know, that's the thing I was uh, Matt and I were talking the other day. And it's, you know, it's like 95 percent of the money is held by 5 percent of, you know, guys or 5 percent of guys kill 95 percent of the elk or whatever. There's kind of this mm-hmm. this ratio out there. This mm-hmm. So and I think it's the same thing with, uh, you know, just success and, and no matter what you're doing and and finding there's like 5 percent of these guys that have like 95 percent of the information. And so I really look for the, the odd man out a lot of times when I have an issue and everybody's saying the same thing. And then one guy kind of chimes in and he's not really pushing anything, but he says, well, uh, you know, that, that probably wouldn't work. And all of a sudden he's got this real technical answer for it. Like to me, I'm like, okay, where does this guy, you know, he knows all about this cam sync and he's talking about crazy stuff that all the other guys just said, move your rest like 14 inches until it's pointing (laughs) perpendicular out your bow, (laughs) you know, and that's the solution. And and so, but it, it can be tough. And I feel for anybody, you know, getting into archery, trying to sort through all that stuff, because I've been there, it can be extremely frustrating, but you just, you, you know, from what I've learned, you just can't give up. You got to keep hammering, you know, Cameron, hang, uh, Cameron hang, he's probably going to, he's probably going to come after me for that. But, uh, you know, you got to hey, keep at If you, Cameron's listening to this, then I, I think we're doing fine. Hey, yeah, I wouldn't be mad if Cam's listening. He probably won't. I pissed him off a couple of times on his Facebook page. I think, I think, I think Rob was uh, part of a conversation on one. Yeah, 
I remember that. I do remember that. (laughs) He posted some quote that I didn't quite understand, and I said, I don't really get this, or that, and he responded, like, it isn't about you, and I said, okay. I was basically like, I never said it was about me. I just don't get it. And so Rob was the one that ended up kind of clarifying, you know, what the quote meant or whatever. But Cam was just, a, he was kind of a little bit of a dick about it, to, to say the yeah. least. That's, but he he deals with a lot of BS on social media, so I, I'm not yeah, I'm not does. I'm not going to go there. You know, he, the guy puts up with a lot, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, but anyways, no, Cam, Cam's a good dude. He he uh, he definitely puts out the effort. Yeah, well, I don't know many people that work harder than him to be able to do what he does. Um, so uh, I, I feel like we have three um, somewhat intelligent people on this uh, podcast episode. One thing that I don't know anything about is hunting animals of the West, and I am sure that a lot of your clients are also in the same boat. You want to come to, if you want to come hunt turkey, actually, well, when you started hunting turkey or you uh became more interested in it i remember we had a few a few chats over some uh calls and 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 just stuff like that but uh i would never personally at least i don't think i would ever show up to a guided elk hunt and you tell me to do something and i would turn around and say no that's not what i'm going to do because i read it on the internet that you should do it the other way uh so is there uh, give us some like guide etiquette if you could on uh if you're if you're going out west especially if this is your your first rodeo i guess what uh what what are some like small etiquette pieces that you should uh you should follow if uh if you're going on a guided hunt uh, you know, I think the biggest thing is just uh, we ha- we have certain guys that are really good about, you know, coming and letting you do your job and other guys that show up and, uh, you know, they think they know better than you. I've had a couple of those guys kind of want to guide the guide type deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, but now, you know, and I think the thing with with arrow with setups, you know, you have a guy that's coming from, you know, say, say the whitetail world and he shot that setup for 20 years and he's had great success with it and all of a sudden you tell him he needs double the arrow and you know you can kind of get in somebody's comfort zone that way and almost rattle them you know shaking somebody's confidence can almost be detrimental in a way too so oh yeah you got to be a little bit careful with you know a little bit careful with it and if um you know, because if they're confident in what they got and they can make a really good shot with what they've got, it's better yeah, you than do, you giving... don't want to mess with that. Yeah. Yeah. So you you can make recommendations, and I always, I always leave it on that. If and you can tell if a guy's really kind of into it and he wants to know and he says I'll do whatever you tell me, then you can tell him as much as you want. And then you ask a guy that says, okay, well, I shoot this. I've been shooting it for twenty years, and uh, you know, you you kind of mention a few things, and he says, yeah, I kind of you know tried that like a few years ago and i wasn't really into it then you kind of you got to pick your battles at the end of the day it's their hunt and uh and you got to let them bring their confidence with them for sure that's one thing i want to touch on there is like if you are going on a guided hunt most of the time you're gonna be you know your initial contact with your outfitter or your guide is gonna be well in advance of the actual hunt right like take advantage of that time 
to, you know, make sure that the bases are covered, glean whatever information you can. And then you have time. If, if there is a recommendation to make a change, you have time. You can adjust. You can set up and, and practice and get comfortable and get that confidence back with something that you might have never messed with before. Like, the the last thing you want to do is to rush it and, you know, just not feel prepared and then your confidence sure. is out the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, cer- it certainly can't be last minute because, I, you know, I think about Western hunting and what I know. It's much different than a lot of different your other styles of hunting. Like, I've never sat in a tree stand. I've never, you know, I've never hunted that way. Shooting up or down angles is, is really kind of not something my my goat and you know when we get into that story we do there was i i made a fatal error and well i guess it wasn't fatal but i made i made it you know an error well, in it that was hunt. It, it ended in a, <laughs> for, <a> dead animal <laughs> for him but yeah not for, not for me but uh um but you know i made i made a big mistake on on that hunt it, it it turned out but um and i don't know if we want to get into it but anyway so you know dragging it's like i was talking to matt about uh you know a hamski rest and cable driven and i was really apprehensive for a while of a cable driven rest just because i'm always dragging my bow and i'm dragging it through sticks and this and that if it's on a mule deer and so it was just another cable to snag and all of a sudden i've got a rest now to worry about too and so um it was something that I that I had to kind of internalize and get some experience with, and you know, to feel good about it. And I was thinking, you know, if I was in the whitetail woods in a stand where I just, you know, haul my bow up there and then it's hanging on a hook, and I don't, I'm not worried about this excessive, um, you know, kind of abrasion to it or you know, snagging it or whatever, then uh, it's probably a non-issue. Those guys may not 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 even think about the same. Um, you know, the same kind of things that I may be thinking about and, you know, or shooting up and down angles. I, I, you know, I level my first, second and third axis, but you know, for my bubble to be off with what I'm shooting, it has much less of an effect than, than it's going to have off. If you're not leveling up your bow shooting out of a stand. Right. Um, so, you know, kind of, you have to be sympathetic to the way where guys have come from and what mm-hmm. they what they've learned and i can't just say this is the only way you do it um you know and especially out west because arizona difference you know differs from new mexico from colorado even in the west there's there's going to be things that work better in certain environments sure. um, yeah. in this region and then you you know if i were to go back east like every you know everything would kind of change for me it, it would be even though i have experience bow hunting i don't have that type of experience bow hunting one, uh, I guess, little tidbit to touch on um, with the limb driven, with that, you know, cable that you're concerned about. Mm-hmm. One option, because I mean, you're not. I'm assuming that with how you're handling your bow, you're not concerned about your strings, you know, getting damaged with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of your custom string builders, if you give them a length, they'll make you a, a actual string with serving, actual hmm. cable um, for your your rest. Um, Interesting. That's I know that uh, Rob Smith with Hogwire does. 
Um, I'm assuming, I, I believe that like the guys from like Twisted X or a sick, what is it? Twisted. Yeah, know. Twisted. Yeah. But most of your, your nicer quality guys um, have no issue doing that. Uh, you just, you set it up, you tune it, you verify what the length is, you know, from uh, like what would be like pre-loop to to pre-loop and give them that number and they'll build it up. Now you've got a served string that is better protected against abrasion. It's not going to stretch as much and there's less to, to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, correct me. Hamsky uses like a uh, spring, don't they? Yes. Or a, uh, yeah. So they have that how do, how does that work? Uh, that's the combat string stretch, because um, oh, the string that you would use on your oh, the string. So it, it's essentially your like, like your, D-loop your, your material. cable stretching. Yeah, yeah. Um, gotcha. It's essentially okay. like D loop material that they use, mm-hmm. um, and so you you want it, you know, taut, um, mm-hmm. and so it's a lot easier to preload and have some. Uh, maintained tension with that spring because you know when you're when you're tying knots and stuff like if if you don't have that spring in there now you tension it up you tighten it down but the minute that there's any stretch or you know settle mm-hmm. now it's not the same tension whereas if you preload that spring when you tension it now, when that you know stretching occurs, the spring is still there to maintain the mm-hmm. same you know overall tension. Right? Huh? That makes sense. Yeah, it just com- combats like any string stretch, and I think that their new material, um, because I'm actually on their their Hamsky's hunting staff. Okay. And so I know Sean uh, really well, and he was saying that their new cable is it's kind of a revised it's not like a d loop he said it's kind of like a no stretch type material so they have okay those guys are pretty sh- pretty sharp yeah they and are I, they, yeah. they make some pretty good stuff but yeah no i mean it, it's it's good and there's all this a- you know aftermarket stuff too that well and that i haven't i mean the hamski that i run i've had for four years and so i've you know replaced mine a couple of you know the, the cable a couple of times mm. And just done it myself, or had one made, and it's I guess I, yeah, I, I didn't even know that they changed materials. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, uh, and they also just came out with like a kind of a a quick, oh, it's kind of like a quick glide, like um, clamp. You know mm-hmm. that, like on, on a stake pole, oh, it's yeah. it's like a little piece of metal with like two holes drilled in it, and one yep. goes mm-hmm. through, and then you just slide it, and it kind of kinks over and holds yep. the. Their their system's the same way. I love it. You just slide it down, and it kinks over and holds the bow, and then they have a, a like an an O ring that slides over to put more uh, more pressure on it mm-hmm. and uh, hold it. But it's it's super. The thing I love about it is that. Like if I want to flip it up to check the, you know, my arrow, like square on my arrow, then it used to be a kind of a pain in the butt with the football 
and I really didn't like it. So I really like, you know, now that I can just flip it up, check square, and then and then go right back to it. And also in the field, like that that system to me, like if something happens, all you have to do is like slide that down. Unless you bust your cable, um, there's no way you can't time you can make your, your rest. Oh, I mean, timing that thing is, is simple. Like you pull the spring to taut and then just stretch it an eighth of an inch and you're, hmm. you're, it's kind of bomb proof, but uh, I love it, but I was super apprehensive at first mm-hmm. and, uh, it's just something that I kind of, you know, had to get over. And, you know, the funny thing is, is, um, Jeremy, the owner of Sandy Hills, uh, my buddy, he, and some of the other guys, they're really big on the rip cord with, uh, the, you know, that you can caulk and now the new, like, I think they call it like firefall technology where it doesn't fall when you let down. Yeah. Hmm. Um, it, it stays up. And the, the thing on mule deer is, is you're really kind of anticipating them to get out of their bed. And so they give you certain cues on when they're going to do that. And you're just looking for body language. And sometimes, you know, they may be kind of, you know, getting that point, but they may be like 10 minutes out. And so you may be drawing like two or three times and letting down, you know, and you're 20, 30, 40 yards, 50 yards away, whatever. And then you go to let down and all of a sudden this arrow is like clink, 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 clink. And then all of a sudden you, you have an issue on your hands. Yeah, so bolting out of there. Yeah, I mean, I, I felted my bow up and, you know, I'm pretty good about being able to let it down slow. I don't feel like I'm really overbowed, which I think is, is important too, is not being overbowed to where you can control that thing when you're going down with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, depending on, you know, what you're hunting, where you're hunting, um, it, it, stylistically, there's just so many things that, you know, I don't think about. Um, in the whitetail woods that people don't think about when I'm hunting and they may say, Oh, that rest is crap. And I'm like, well, I love it. And, but, um, so I don't know. I, I used to be like, Oh, nobody knows anything, but now I'm a little bit more open to just saying, well, you know, like whitetail guys, that's, they, they do it differently because they're dealing with different, you know, different environment, different challenges and, you know, weather and sitting up there and freezing to death. And, you know, on a mule deer, you can certainly sit there and freeze to death for a while, but, you know, on an elk, you're, it is like a turkey, you know, you're talking, you're learning what they're saying, and you're trying to elicit a response, so it's much different than a lot of other types of hunting, and uh, get them to come come to you, um, but, you know, even like when I went to New Zealand, my wife and I went to New Zealand for our honeymoon, and she had actually, so my stag hunt, so I've been on, that was my the one paid hunt I've been on in my life. Everything else I've just kind of done on my own, but my wife bought that for me for, uh, on our honeymoon. Nice. And Job well done. Oh, yeah. yeah, and it, you know, it was kind of, my wife would tell you she was like, I was a punk about it, because I was like, I don't know if I want to go do this, I don't know how I feel about it, because... It was, you know, it was a big place, but it was high fenced, right. and a lot of those places are. Well, the, well, the it's stag. Very dip- it's very difficult to find any over in New Zealand that aren't, isn't it? I, I think, think there there are some, but it's it's tough. I think so, and uh, the the tar wasn't, but the tar was a it was kind of a, a you know whole different hunt in itself. Oh, that's but... a, the Himalayan tar. Uh, yeah, or, or are there the different out. subspecies of tars? I'm not sure. You know, I, honestly, I don't even know, but yeah, that that was so. kind of an interesting, and maybe I'll just tell the story. But so going going on that hunt, 
and I chose to take a bow just because, you know, I, I, I was kind of into bow hunting and I wanted to do it, but I, you know, I kind of had reservations about it and she kind of got mad at me because she's like, you were such a disrespectful, like I bought you this thing and you're telling me you don't know if you want to do it. And I said, well, <laughs> you, you don't understand, honey. They're like, for me, there are just these, you know, this aspects of hunting something, you know, and it can find like in a cage almost. And, and she didn't really understand that. And, uh, sure. But, you know, I kind of opened up to it and I said, fine, you know, let's go on this. And um, I, I was grateful. It was an amazing trip. But, uh, you know, I got to talking to the outfitter and he kind of opened my eyes and he said, you know, Neil, a lot of my clientele is guys, you know, 50 plus mm-hmm. and, and they can't do what you do anymore. Right, right. And uh, but they still want to go hunting and they still want to get out and they've, you know, maybe they've they've had success. They're older and. And, you know, so it's open. And I said, you know what, there's a day I'm, I'm going to have to put my, my bow down and I may, you know, I may go back to a rifle and, and it comes for us all. And so it, it really kind of, it wasn't about guys just going out there and blasting stuff and right, stuff right, in yeah. a can. I mean, some of those guys, he said, have had double knee replacements and, you know, yeah. they, they can't walk around. They, they kind of have to be in a buggy, but, you know, we walked the whole ranch. It was kind of a big place. And, uh, and uh still ended up doing it with a bow which i mean it wasn't easy for sure i mean they they can run right away from you just as fast and oh yeah they're certainly not tamed they yeah they get they get hunted and they see you and they're kind of out of there yeah that's a lot of people you know have this preconceived notion that high fence animals are it's basically a petting zoo when Really, it's the opposite. They're very weary of man because they know that when man show up, their buddies die. Uh, So, so they see they see a human. They're they're, see you later. Ain't gonna be here anymore. Uh, So, how is a stag? Is a little bit smaller body wise than than a Rocky Mountain elk, right? Yeah, they're kind of between a mule deer and an elk. I think they're probably about you know five to six hundred pounds. Right. So, uh, yeah, man, yeah, just somewhere right are, in there. A, a stag is on my list for sure. They're, uh, they're such a unique animal. Like just they're the size of their, that their racks can get, uh, for, oh yeah, uh, for, for that. Are. And, and just the, the roar on a stag is yeah. something just completely different than what we have here in the, in the U S which just really, uh, really makes me want to like like the first time i heard a stat like a red stag roar i don't know if there's different stags or not but the first time i heard a red stag roar i was like that's a dinosaur that's <laughs> yeah. not a that's not a, a, that's a, a t-rex a is gonna pop yeah. out of that thing and eat the rest right. of the herd yeah yeah it's yeah. pretty crazy it's, it's wild man so yeah uh yeah that's uh oh man now you're just making me Get fired up, try and go hunt a red stag. <laughs> but it, it, well, you know, she kept asking me all these weird questions about hunting, and it was kind of I I didn't really know what was going on, but she was asking me what the top three animals on my list were, and it was like a, mm-hmm. a red stag and a a brown bear and uh, a moose, and uh, and it, it really came down. To, she was asking my brother-in-law, and he's like, "Well, you're not going into brown bear country." Yeah, 
just get married <laughs> and now you're dead. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 that's not something you're going to want to do, sister. And yeah. uh, a moose, he's like, you're basically in brown bear country. So he's yep. like, let's just yep. cross those off. And how about you guys go to, um, you know, New Zealand and stay in a, a lodge and something yeah. that. And that was the other thing, you know, is that it accommodated women and children at the lodge and yeah. they could stay there yeah. and talk with the women. So it, it worked for her. It wasn't like we were just out in the bush and. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and then the tar, that was kind of an add on deal. He was like, our helicopter's pulling out. And, um, you know, this is kind of the last run. I'll, I'll kind of give you a deal on this thing. So I kind of, and she wanted to go on a helicopter ride. So it was like, okay, well, why not? And, and that was actually a, a rifle. And that's basically just, you know, economics. You're paying for an hourly rate for a helicopter. Sure. And you essentially sure. go into the mountains and find these things. And like, just kind of like run them down. It's a little bit crazy. It's kind of like, and then you land on the side of a cliff. He says, jump out, but don't stand up because the helicopter will cut your head off because the mountains oh. like the mountains, like at a 45 degree steep degree. Oh, right. Wow. So the, the prop is you got to find a place and he says, just hit the ground. I'll get out. And the helicopter basically just peels off the side of a cliff and, uh, and he says, don't move until I get out, until you are clear. And so it's kind of like, and then he, he says, stand up. And then he's just like, shoot. And I'm like, I don't even know where the thing is. And it, <laughs> it's running up this like rock crevice, like 300 yards away. So anyways, like I finally find it and shoot it. And, um, but it was like the fastest, most intense hunt like I've, I've been on. And, uh, but it, it was pretty crazy. And, and so we did that as well. So it, was it something that I, that I'm always doing? No, not at all. But you know, it's yeah. like you go to their place and you do things their way. It's part of that, yeah, cult, that yeah. culture. And so I, I, I kind of, I, I enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie. Like I went out and I had fun being a part of that. I learned something and got a new perspective yeah. on, you know, people, people that, you know, a lot of the people that go there and, or a majority of the people that go there, so um. sure, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. There, there's definitely a culture involved in those kind of things, and it's probably how they've. Uh, I mean, that's how at least that outfitter has hunted those animals probably for a while. Uh, mm -hmm. Is is via helicopter, and you know, yeah, got, that's how they do I'm, it. I, yeah, and I'm sure that you know you go to Australia or New Zealand or South America or africa to to hunt these different game animals there's going to be extremely different cultures there and it would be mm -hmm. a ton of fun to be involved in those and just kind of adapt to the way that that particular culture hunts so huh. yeah that's that's uh, uh yeah that's for neat. sure and then you go you know like uh oh and i was i went out to ed's um ed's place and mm -hmm. he and i were talking about his experiences in africa and um, you know, and he, so, and then just dealing with Africa and there, it's like security issues, you know, getting through the airport and knowing who to pay off. And it's like this total corrupt, mm -hmm. corrupt thing. But he said, you're, you know, your guides got to know that and they've got to be able to get you through this, this corrupt system. Um, otherwise you just run into all these, you know, all these problems. And so, yeah. you know, country to country, state to state, and even within state, I think that, you know, it, stuff varies so much and, oh, most definitely, you know, and that's for me, my biggest thing is aerostatics or aerostat, um, arrow weights and arrow setups sh should never be static. I think that you should always be kind of willing to change your arrow setup based off where you're hunting, what you're hunting. And it's kind of like sure. bullets in a gun. I mean, you don't bring a, a varmint 
varmint rifle to a Cape Buffalo hunt and uh, but guys will do it with a bow and I don't quite understand it it's like what they shoot whitetail with is what they shoot varmints with is what they shoot elk with is what they're gonna shoot you know guys that shoot it take it to shoot a Cape Buffalo and uh, I, I don't know why the the rifle world really hasn't kind of crossed over and transcended or at least those principles mm-hmm. as well into the archery community but uh you know the same principles apply um yeah to some degree i mean a, a bullet kills you know through hydrostatic shock which is kind of basically a shock wave that it disrupts the water in your body yeah. and yeah. creates micro tears aside from the main wound channel but yeah uh, disables well, your nervous system right just kind of shuts you down whereas like a, an arrow is you know killing by hemorrhage you're just looking for bleeding so you're you know, the more penetration that you're getting, the more stuff that you're cutting and that, you know, that your odds go up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. It's, I would never like, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't even being a quote unquote heavy arrow advocate or heavy arrow guy. I, I probably still, I like, I would just shoot whatever I've got, but I wouldn't have an issue shooting an arrow under, you know, a 400 probably between 450 and 500 grains at a, at a turkey, uh, or you know, under four hundred fifty grains. I'd, I well, I've killed under four hundred fifty grains, so that's, that's definitely not uh, anything out of uh, uh, out of the ordinary. But it's you know, if I'm going to uh, Nebraska to hunt turkey, and where I know I will, I, there's a possibility I will take a fifty to sixty yard shot, and I need to drop it in on a dime then yeah i don't i don't really have an issue with trying to lighten up your setup just to be extremely precise and uh, you know if you uh, especially turkey they, they'll even though they're small they cover a lot of ground uh quickly so you could range them at a certain range and by the time you draw they could be five ten yards closer and the closer your pin gaps are together then it, it could help so uh but i would never take that arrow to go hunt something big out west an elk or a moose or even a you know a bear that would eat me uh i I would (laughs) i would never i would never do that yeah but uh you know some guys do and like i i don't know if it's it's not that they you know that they just want to be unethical or anything like that it's just that I, i don't think that they've kind of been educated or sure but uh so uh elk um as garrett learned last week um can indeed duck an arrow um if they are if they are alert and garrett learned Mm -hmm. that the hard way after he put one right where it should have right where he was aiming and then the elk wasn't there so and i know this is something that we've we've talked about uh is shot placement versus pin placement and oh, you're gonna get a lot of people hating me oh, after we get done well, with well, this. We, we don't have to get into it if you don't want to. We can wait. We, no, we I'm can, more than we, I'm more we than happy wait. to speak my mind. Neil, we can wait on this for the second installment uh, uh, if if you want to. It's it's no, no big deal. It, it, it's only my opinion. It'll it'll tease some people off, but it's only my opinion. So you know, That's take okay. it with we're, the we're good at that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess with shot placement, uh, you can put the pin you know where you need it to be but that doesn't make too it doesn't that's not going to be indicative of where you hit that animal it can be 
yeah. but not always. And so I hear guys that preach shot placement and it just drives me crazy because I guess maybe it's just a terminology thing too. And for me, it's pin placement. You can control where you put your pin, but you cannot control what, where that animal or where that arrow hits that animal. The animal can move. You can hit brush. You can, you can, your fletching can hit your cable. If so, so there's all these variables that come into play that just really make shot placement go out the door. And I'm so. Like I said, I think that you can put your pin there and you can have, you know, and a lot of times it's going to be fairly close, but I see guys that just hammer on other guys when the shot's like four inches back or, you know, oh, well, you should have, you know, better, better shot placement, better shot. Okay. Well, maybe he had that pin perfectly placed on that animal when he released that arrow. A and there's a step is a lot. And there's no way to anticipate if that animal is going to go down, up, forward back do a do a somersault what you know whatever so there's no way to anticipate you know with your pin of what's going to happen you just have to put the pin on make the you know the best decision possible at that time and, and let it go and I, I think you know some of it with shot placement is guys being educated on where to where to put the pin for sure but no, no guy out there is, you know, putting their pin on the deer's, you know, his broadside that they're putting it on his hip. You know, I would think right. that that's that's not the case. Most guys are putting it somewhere in there in a pie plate that if you hit, you know, in that in that zone, you're going to have pretty good odds. But uh, I just know from hunting, there's been shots where I I let that arrow go and felt the best in my life about how that was going down until it went down and it, it wasn't good. Either the animal spun and I just ran it through the side of his shoulder or, you know, it grazed him or I hit more back or more forward. And then uh, the situation can turn pretty quick. Indeed. Indeed it can. I just don't, I, I keep asking people how, uh, how they manage to, like learn this telekinesis ability to control animals and no one's told me yet but i mean hell if i knew how to do it i probably wouldn't tell anyone else either because keep that my own my own little secret um yes okay let's uh i don't want to belabor this anymore you know let, let's tell us about oh rob in case you didn't know i didn't know that uh that, so neil drew that uh mountain goat tag last year and was successful yep. Yep. Um, uh, he, he had a long, arduous hunt. Uh, it lasted one day and, uh, uh, so he is, uh, he is going to, uh, tell the tale of the, the one day hunt. So uh, I will, yeah. uh, uh, this is, I mean, just because how many mountain goats were killed in Colorado last year? Do you know, or do you have like a rough number? No, I, I don't know. In that unit, I think there was like eight. So I'm guessing that there was less than a couple hundred killed in Colorado that year. I would I would guess. Yeah, because you know I think that there's only like six or seven units. Oh wow. Okay. So and that that unit I think um, has the the issues the most tags. A lot of them are just two or three, so you couldn't even kill. Oh wow. So maybe less know. than maybe less than a hundred. I'm gonna look it up. It could be less than 50. I don't know. It, you know, and it, it, it very, 100% kill, which, or versus like a 10%, depend, depending on the year. But 
So what what happened? What what happened in your one day hunt? Well, that I think uh <laughs> not not much to tell or well, no. I know your I know your shot was pretty wild. Yeah. No, that 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 hunt was just so much different for me because there was a lot of backlog and um where I was at in yeah. my life was Yeah. Uh, no, it's very true. was yeah. was pr- pretty challenging. Um we had my wife and I had had a, a daughter um let's see it would have been June of June 15th the 17th and uh so not uh man I'm trying to put the dates well I won't worry about the dates but anyway so we had a daughter and she was born with a, a rare lung condition and we ended up losing her well my my mom died in the end of September and my daughter died the end of October. And so, you know, we lost them back to back. And it was, so it would have been the following spring. Yeah, it would have been the spring of 18 mm-hmm. that uh, I drew, I drew the tag. And I, I just really mentally wasn't in a, I didn't feel like I was in a place. You know, you wait for, I spent, you know, the the years drawing it and then also a couple of years prior just kind of thinking about it. And so you've got a decade worth of, of kind of invested in this thing, dreaming about this thing. And then it happens. And all I could think of was, you know, not not now, not not now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but I, you know, I kind of thought about it that day and I, I considered uh, turning in the tag and uh and then I kind of just kind of, I, I talked to my wife and, uh, and I just decided it, it was something that I just wanted, I wanted to go do. It was almost like a, a chance for me to go get a little bit of grieving out of the way and to be on the mountain and kind of just go up there and get away. Cause I hadn't been away. And, uh, at that point you're just trying to kind of keep things together. You know, m- my wife was having a really hard time and, and so I, I just made it kind of a promise to to my daughter. I and um, and I actually took we had her cremated, so I took a little baggie of her ashes with me and had them in my shirt pocket, my chest shirt pocket. And so it was kind of a, the hunt. I, I my first hunt with her. I wanted to take her on, and yeah, because yeah. um, it was pretty special to me. And I I really you know I kind of snapped out of it, and I honestly I think just knowing that it was kind of for her, I just really went to work. I mean I ha- I hammered my bow. I probably about shot the thing out that, that summer and that spring and, um, you know, just really, really got ready and, and, and spent time and put it together. And then, uh, when the time came, um, I had just a, a Jeremy, um, my buddy, Jeremy Fiscus, the owner of Sandy Hills hunting company. And, um, he, he and I started out that day and then my brother-in-law and my cousin followed up the next day. But, uh, you know, and the, and the women ooch is, it's, it's really, I'd went and tried to go in there one time prior and got a flat tire. I mean, the, the, the road that I was told was a fairly decent road. Um, like it was on like the side of a cliff sometimes and would, it, it, it would eat your lunch. It popped one of my tires, like through the tread, a rock like punctured the, through the, the flat part in the tread. Yeah. And then I, I got my spare out and it was like half flat. And so I'm oh, basically, isn't that the my, worst? that's happened to me like three times. My <laughs> sidewalls exposed and I have to turn and go down what I just came up that popped a good inflated tire. And I ended up limping it down, but 
you know, I got to the bottom and I was just desperate to like see a goat. I had my, I was on a county road and had my spotting scope out and looking and um, kind of funny because a, a local guy came by and kind of asked me what I was doing. He, he kind of knew what I was doing and he kind of laughed at me and told me I wouldn't find, find goats from, from down here. And um, it was kind of at that moment where I just, it, it kind of reaffirmed what I, I came to do. Like I, I wanted to go in there and kill an old mature. I wanted to go into the nastiest stuff that people told me to, you know, to stay away from. And that's where mm-hmm. we went. I had one guy, a guide um, here in Colorado that he didn't have any clients. And I called him and I said, this is where I want to go. And he, all he said, he said, if you, if you go there, you will find what you're looking for. And so for me, it just kind of, that, that was it. I just knew that that's, that's where I was going. And, um, and so we went in there and, you know, it's, we spent a a couple hours on a ranger kind of getting to a a drop point. And then it was a seven hour hike, uh, from there. And so we got in that night and got in, in the dark and rained on a lot of the way. And it was just kind of miserable. We were a little bit wet and, and got some sleep. And then that, that morning we got up in the dark and, and spiked out to where, um, where I want, where I wanted to go. And I think I was, I told Matt this earlier and Rob wasn't on, but we had left that morning. We got in that night and left that morning in the dark. And there, there was two, uh, two big billies right above our tents on like a cliff up, <laughs> up above. And so it was like, we spent that whole day. We, we hiked quite a ways, but we got into, uh, Anyways, we went up and we got into a basin that we could kind of, we could get to three different basins pretty quickly. And, uh, we had scouted this, this basin for hours just glassing and, you know, my eyes, these big white blobs, like it's going to be super easy to find. So I think we took it for granted a little bit, you know, like there were some white rocks and some lighter rocks. And then we went up, we didn't see anything there, but we did find some tracks near like a, a, a there was like some little water holes in the top of a basin and they were kind of dried up, but there were some tracks in the mud. So we knew that they were in the area. And then we went to the next basin and we found a really good Billy over there, but he was just in like some sheer cliffs. And we thought, well, let's just back out. It was getting a little bit later in the afternoon. Let's back out and come tomorrow and see if he's just bedded in a, in a better spot. And so we're, we're on our way back out. And then the basin we just came from, we're kind of coming out of a saddle and dropping back down into it. And I'd been out of water for a little bit and, but we knew where their water, water was. And so we were going to get back down to water. And then we're, you know, as we're dropping down into that basin, we see these two white spots and we're like, those weren't there before. <laughs> and sure enough, it's a, it's the, the Billy that I ended up shooting in a, a more immature Billy. But it was like instantly is like, well, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, well, um, I said, well, he said, we're here to kill a goat. And I said, yeah, you're right. And so we hiked back up where we just came from and hiked up kind of to the top of the peak. And we had to come in from behind them and basically came down like a little rock chute. They were in some some cliffs and there was kind of some little green kind of benches in there that they were they were laying on and feeding on. And so. Um, the wind was kind of howling and we got in a, just straight above them. And so we're kind of peeking through the rocks and we end up finding them. Well, we didn't, I take that back. We, we only saw the one, the mature one to begin with. We didn't see the other one. We got up there and I told Jeremy, I said, there's two. 
And uh, <laughs> so he just looked at me, shit, we'll shoot the bigger one. <laughs> and uh, Solid advice. Yeah, solid advice it is. It was real solid advice at that point. So, you know, I kind of, yeah, the, and the, the bigger one was, was considerably bigger, so it was pretty easy. But uh, so I'm kind of hanging over this, this cliff, you know, out over the edge of it. And they're straight, you know, straight below me. It was like a 40, 40 degree angle, 40 something degree angle, I think. So, um I think it was like a 35-yard shot kind of straight down. But, um, you know, Drew, and, and I'm not used to being, you know, bent over like that in a shot. And especially you're kind of hanging on the edge of a cliff and nothing feels secure and the wind's blowing. And um, But that's where my bubble came into play. And being a flatlander, uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't used to that part of my shot, you know, as much as maybe a whitetail guy is. Right. And, uh, so I lean over the cliff and, and let the arrow go. And I hit him pretty far back, like much far farther. I didn't think it, we didn't think it was that far back, but it was, it was, it was quite a ways back. I'd say probably a foot back from the shoulder. And we thought, we, we thought it was like maybe eight inches. And, uh, but I pulled up for a second shot on him and, and that's when I'm looking at my bubble and where I naturally thought because of the terrain, like where I was holding it, my bubble was smashed all the way to one side. And by the time I got it leveled, it felt so awkward, like in that, you know, with all these angles that you're not used to dealing with, that he had kind of scrambled around the corner. And, uh, but we could tell he he was really hurting. He went up the side of a, uh, the cliff next to us. The young Billy kind of kept going and then he stopped. And so we just kind of sat there for a minute and watched him and he tried to get up a couple of rocks and he kind of stumbled and kind of stumbled down and then he just laid down and we thought, well, this, this is good, you know, considering the shot and, uh, you know, and there, and there you go. There's just factors in, in that hunt that I, that I personally wasn't used to. And in the heat of the moment, you know, didn't forgot to, to check my bubble and it resulted in in kind of a poor impact yeah and so we we kind of stayed there that night but he did he didn't uh he didn't transpire that night so we just decided to back out and come the the next day and we got back to camp and my my cousin and my brother-in-law were were there and uh that's when we we kind of gave him the grief about this this sucks like we're out of here like this this is this country's like <laughs> just unforgiving and and they were like and it was finally they were like you serious and we're like no we we actually just we put an arrow in one just a couple hours ago and so and that's where they were like well, what's wrong with these two right above your tent and i was like well nothing we just didn't know they were there <laughs> <laughs> so uh so anyways we we spent that night in uh it wasn't as restless as I thought. I actually was uh, pretty pretty calm about it, but in, in I probably had more weighing on that than I ever have in in my life. But for some reason, I d- I didn't feel it as much. I guess. And sure. uh, another funny thing is, is that night we got back to camp and it, we're we're laying there, and I right next to my camp I can hear something moving or my tent I can hear something moving around, and then I hear kind of a. And it kind of blow out, and I was like, "Oh, great! We, you know, we got we got a bear." And uh, so I kind of sit there for a little bit, and it, I can hear it come back, and I'm like, "Ah, well, we're gonna have to, 
you know, deal with any kind of wrappers or anything we've got going on, or we're going to be kind of dealing with this all night. So I, I haul over at Jeremy. I was like, are you, Fiscus, you awake? And he's like, yeah. I said, you hear that? And he's like, no, what? And I said, I'm pretty sure we got a bear. He's like, are you serious? And so it kind of went on for a little bit. We kind of thought, well, maybe we made a little noise. And then, and then it goes over by his tent and he's like, yeah. And so we get up and we get all of our kind of any trash that we have, any kind of like food remnants. And we kind of hike it up in a tree and, uh, and then it just keeps coming back. And I'm like, Oh man, we're this, we're not going to get any sleep. And then he, he unzips his sleeping bag. He's like, I've got a light. And I was like, yeah, I don't, my light's buried. So anyways, he, he, he's uh, sitting there and he unzips his tent and he's like, you gotta be joking me. And I'm like, what? He's like, it's a deer. And I was like, are you, are you shitting me? He's like, no, she's standing here five yards from my tent staring at me. <laughs> so we had this doe that came into camp and unlike anything I've ever seen before, she just, for some reason was curious, but, uh, yeah, I, f- I figured we had a bear trying to, you know, that smelt something and was trying to get it, but, uh, it was, it was well, a that deer. would definitely be your first thought. Yeah. 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 You know? <laughs> so, uh. No, to me, like any time like that I've camped in like the boundary waters, northern Minnesota, Canada, like if you hear something rustling outside your tent, first thing that comes to mind is a bear. Because nine times out of ten, it's a bear. Yeah, they want they want your food. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I mean, yeah. Like, you know what? You don't expect it to be a deer. At all. No, yeah. No. I mean, right, right next to your tent. I mean, I literally could hear it breathing, and I was like, "Okay, this thing's sniffing around." So, but yeah, it was it was a doe deer. So we about got attacked by a deer. <laughs> and, uh, the, the, so, vicious, the vicious muley. The vicious, yeah, the vicious mountain muley. But anyway, so we got up the the next morning, gathered our gear, and it was a little bit hike over there, and um, you know, long story short, we started just kind of hiking up this this that face where he went and uh we were about three quarters up it and started seeing a lot of blood and um some hair and and we hadn't quite made it to where he had bedded because it was it was literally a kind of a vertical cliff i mean it was pretty jagged so you could climb all right but uh you couldn't see where he was bedded once you started going and and he wasn't where he was bedded when we left him so that's when my heart kind of started to sink a little bit my you know kind of you know, finding something in that environment is much, much different than, you know, like in the Eastern Plains. Normally, if right. you, you get an arrow in something, you can keep track of it. Or, um, But in that place, I mean, it could go around a bend and down in a little chute and you never know. And so... Never find it, yeah. Yeah, never find it. And so I was, uh, I was about three quarters of the way up and my cousin and... Um, and Jeremy were down there. My cousin Justin and Jeremy were down there. And my brother-in-law John was on on the cliff with me, and and they yell and they like, "Hey, your goat's down here!" And it was just like, um, uh, it was just a crazy feeling. And I think for me, it just held so much weight. But um, yeah, you know, and got got down there, and he he had tried to come off the cliff, I think, in the night because there was a there was a little lake down below in in the bottom of that uh, that basin. Mm-hmm. And I think he had tried to head down to water and ended up kind of, you know, transpiring, kind of going through a little rock shoot or whatever. But uh, it was just a nuts. It, it was kind of a, it was a, 
it was a crazy, crazy place and a crazy hunt. And, uh, and, you know, certainly my, one of my, fa well, my favorite, I don't know if it, anything will ever take, take its spot, but, uh, sure. But yeah, big goat. He was the oldest one killed in that that unit, and that's what I went in there to do. And I I, I don't know. I we gross green scored him, which he was, um, I think just shy of right rifle Boone and Crockett. Um, wow. How do you yeah, score so guys? It's kind of like an antelope. You just get length and circumference, and there's no width or anything like that. So, <laughs> but uh. You know, and then it was just a, a hella a long, long pack out, and we were pretty beat. And um, yeah, and it was kind of crazy that day that we got out. That was the day that Jason Harrison. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Passed away. Se yeah. September fourth, yeah. So we 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 came out to that news, which was kind of sucky, but um, yeah. And then right after that, we. Uh, like I said, I went in and I got got my elk, but that that was all all I did that year. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's a that's a heck of a story. I think your your little girl and your mom were definitely uh, definitely with you on on that one. Yeah, for sure. You, you yeah, I'm, you know, I don't know otherwise. <laughs> otherwise, it kind of gives you some strength sometimes that you, you don't necessarily or wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. But yeah. almost most definitely. Yeah. So yeah, pr pretty pretty special one for me. It, it meant a lot, and uh, looking back, I'm glad that I made the decision that I did. It, it offered so much more to me than it than it did just uh, just to go up to hunt. I mean, there was sure. a lot of a lot of healing, and you know, for me anymore, it's when I'm kind of farthest away from everything else is when I feel closer, you know, to them. So oh, yeah. the, the the woods bring on you know, more meaning to me and are more important to me the the older I get. And I think oh, that's probably tr true with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. but yeah, now I just uh, need to draw my bighorn sheep tag. I've been yeah. drooling, drooling over that for the last decade too. So I don't know when that's going to happen, but that's yeah. another one. And, uh, you know, and I think you guys had Jake Downs on early. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, he was talking about his, like, the Super 10 or whatever. And then mm -hmm. I got the thing. I was like, oh, what do I got for the Super 10? And, uh, you know, just randomly, I think I have eight of the 10. So then I was like, oh, well, I never even knew about this thing. And yeah, <laughs> might, might, might try it. Yeah. You know, yeah. not even trying, but. Are you, uh, uh, so the, the tag you're putting in that you're trying to draw, is that in Colorado or are you putting in somewhere else? For Bighorn? Yeah. Yeah, here locally in Colorado. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's you know kind what? of a that's a once in a lifetime kind of tag, isn't it? Yeah, I know a couple of guys that have drawn it twice, and some guys that have won it in a raffle and then drawn it, but it's uh, pretty rare. And I think it's yeah. it's it's getting even harder to draw. But you know, that's something too about you know 2010. Like I never really started applying for out of state or any of those other you know, like kind of high profile animals, I guess you would call mm -hmm. them until I moved back to Colorado. Sure. Whereas I know guys my age that have like 20 points, you know, and I, I guess part of it, I was like, I, d I didn't really know. And, uh, and I missed out on some of that stuff or at least missed some years of applying, but yeah. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's never too late. I encourage people to, to do it i mean it at the beginning it seems like kind of a pipe dream but then all of a sudden it happens and you're just like holy cow and yeah, and i think those yeah those once in a lifetime i don't i don't know if i had ever 
No, I shouldn't say that. I definitely hunt a goat again, but uh, but it's just one of those that you don't get to do real often, and so it, it just uh, it, it's pretty awesome. And not yeah. to say that you know just hunting your standard old stuff that you love to hunt isn't awesome, but uh, just being in a different place and knowing that it's you know, only a certain amount of guys get to do that each year, it's it's yeah. pretty fun. Yeah, well, it's, different place, different experience. At least for me, like I love the adventure of new experiences yeah like new areas new animals like i i like learning i like and so any chance that i get like i just kind of jump at it because i i, I want to experience it like it doesn't even have to be you know anything huge <laughs> <laughs> it's just like oh yeah i haven't done that before Let's yeah go chase them yeah in search of the unknown right that's why we do it mm-hmm. yeah yeah and you know well, the other thing about that goat that was that was pretty awesome is um we we brought a, a really nice camera and the battery was dying on it and so we got like literally two photos off that camera before it croaked and the rest were iphone photos and uh and Epic uh, Outdoors, the magazine, which is a Western magazine, and uh, they wanted to, they were going to put it on the cover, and they said, "Well, you know, send me your photos." I said, and I said, "All I have is these two, and they the one the one good one is like the most amazing photo. Like I don't under the lighting and everything, and uh, and it was just incredible that we we actually got that one photo. But he just you know, he said, uh, we've never had a goat on the photo and or on the cover. And I don't know if we ever will again. He said, this is, you know, just an incredible photo. And, you know, for what it's worth for me, it was kind of like a, a little bit divine in a way because yeah. for, for that to happen, I, I just feel so lucky to have that one photo and I don't need another one. I don't need 10. I don't need 20. I, I got that. That's the only photo I'll ever need for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was really cool. And to, to, and they did a little thing in there where they asked me if I wanted to honor my daughter. And so there's a little picture of her and it says, you know, in, in loving memory of Presley Ray Emick, I think. So, yeah, yeah. um, pretty, definitely, pretty cool. Definitely helping out with your lighting situation there for sure. Yeah. She might've been <laughs> throwing, throwing some good light. Yeah. <laughs> so Man, that that's, was, that, that's awesome. That's a heck it, of a story. It is. And you know it's funny. My my whole life, I thought with as much as I hunted deer, or maybe elk, that you, uh, you know, for me, I guess in a way, I'm a trophy hunter. I like going out and I look for, like looking for the biggest, baddest dude on on the mountain or in the plant. And um, you know, and it's not necessarily always just about antlers. It's just that he, he's got to that position because he's he's got smart. Yeah. And it's going to take a little bit extra to get it done on him than it is a two and a half year old or an elk. And I like the challenge of it and they all come with the same amount of meat. So, um, you know, you kind of get both when you do it, but I always thought, you know, maybe I always kind of wanted to know that I shot something like super worthy or maybe, you know, maybe that's just kind of a vain thing, whatever. But I always thought it would be cool to be on a magazine, shoot something that was, you know, kind of worthy of being on a magazine and never in my life did I ever expect it to be a goat. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's kind of a pipe dream for any outdoorsman, like is to, to catch that, catch or kill that once in a lifetime 
animal and, and, you know, get your face somewhere. Yeah. Or just, yeah, that, that once in a lifetime animal, I mean, they're not everywhere. And to know that you're kind of, maybe you've put in enough work, maybe you've, you've developed, you know, enough skill and the, you know, the, and it's about the animal more than anything that the animal that you harvested was kind of worthy of that. And, uh, Mm-hmm. And uh, just, but it, it's kind of crazy because I always thought, well, as much as I hunt deer and as much as I'm crazy about deer and wanting to kill a big deer, maybe it'll be a big deer. But nope, uh, I, I just didn't get the get a choose on that one. So, yeah, yeah. that's one thing that you know I think for a lot of guys, as they, you know, continue putting notches you know, on, on their, uh, on their kill count, the, the goals change. Yeah. Oh, you definitely. know, because I think, especially for, for guys that bow hunt, there's a certain level of, um, just glutton for punishment, like chasing that challenge. Mm-hmm. And, at a certain point that you know might not mean the biggest rack or you know the best scoring animal but the smartest the you know wiliest you know that old just bruiser that has outlived everyone yep and it might, you know, he might be completely on the decline, <laughs> but the, you know, accomplishment of being the one to have outsmarted him mm-hmm. can have a lot of weight. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, from a conservation standpoint, those are your prime targets. Yeah. Yep. You know, to get the ones that, that are on the decline out of the breeding pool to allow, you know, the up and coming males a chance to, you know, start populating and, and maintaining the herd. I mean, yeah, a lot of animals at a certain point, they, they can't breed anymore, but they'll still fight and kill and push everyone else out of the area. They they ruin the ecosystem. That's why they I want you to take big old animals. Yeah. And you know, I guess in my bow hunting, it's been, you know, there's, there, there's been a fraction of it. That's been me, but I, I kind of owe so much to so many people that have con, you know, contributed to, to my success. And, um, you know, it's like Jeremy, uh, my buddy, my partner. And, you know, when I met him, it was, it was just kind of a random deal. I was calling, you know, looking at maybe booking a hunt and he was killing all these, you know, giant deer. And, um, but, but more so I, I think it's just important, like who you associate with. Like he, he obviously, when I started looking into him, had a skill set that, that outweighed mine. And I just wanted to know what he knew. And so I just called him and I said, Hey, can I book a hunt and start asking all these questions that like made him like really concerned because he's like, Oh, here's this guy trying to know where I am and where I'm doing all my stuff. And, you know, when it comes to big deer, it can be super competitive. 
and you know with us less is more i mean we're not the guys on facebook posting pictures like we don't post anything in uh you know and so i i I called him and, and he was like, oh, we're f I'm full for five years. And it was a lie. And, it, you know, at the beginning, I, did, I, I didn't know. But the more we kind of talked and, and I kind of kept asking him questions and he would give me a little bit here and there. And, uh, and then uh, the more we got to know each other, he, you know, he kind of told me, he said, you just asked too many questions and you made, you made me nervous. <laughs> it, it, and uh he thought i thought you were like after my you know where i was hunting and trying to figure stuff out and so for him but i wasn't at all i was just completely ignorant to to you know to that and, and you're just like, trying to be a sponge yeah i was just yeah. i just wanted to, to soak up anything he had to offer he had a skill set that i that i wanted and um at least you know i wanted to improve on and and what i could you know tell anybody is that you're as good as the people that you hang around with. And I believe that in like business and mm -hmm. your hunting and anything, your faith, um, if you're a godly person. And if you're, if you're hanging around with a bunch of people whose thermostat is set at 55, good luck getting to a hundred, you know, a hundred degrees. But if you're hanging out with guys that are set at a hundred, 120, 150, um, it's going to rub off on you. Yeah, you'll get there. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, you're just going to, you're going to inherit, you know, some of their knowledge and their, their skill, and they're going to make you, you know, better at whatever that is. And so I just, you know, I, I think, you know, Jeremy, a big part for, you know, for my, the, the guy's a, a phenom and I, I've always found people in my life that you just really admire them. And it may not be because, um, you know, just for different reasons, like my, my cousin, when I was younger and his way with horses and, you know, breaking horses or riding bucking horses, I mean, I would get on one and they chuck me off the first, the first jump. It was just never, never my thing, you know, or that we did it, but he just had this skill set, you know, and, and I always kind of admired that about him. I just thought it was, you know, it was almost like an art and, not in it i didn't have it but in you know and with jeremy and so we we got to talking and then it just kind of you know made sense we both had really different skill sets and and i remember you know like looking at you know because the guys personally killed a number of 230 plus deer 240 plus deer Ooh. um he's you know put clients on the cover of eastman's um numerous times and uh and he he doesn't mess around. He's a, he's a very serious guy, and he's a but he's a he's a very good guy. And and I'm pretty I'm pretty um, I guess I'm pretty you know limiting in a way of le like who I let into my world. And I think it's just because of that thermostat thing. If you're a negative person or whatever, um, I only allow kind of certain things in, or I try to the older I get yeah. because it, it seems pretty important to me. Well, and, it rubs off. It it does even if it's if, neg negativity yeah that's if you're even if you're not hanging out with people but if you're constantly around that negative mindset it, you, it you, just creeps in yeah, oh, yeah. You'll, like it, it is such an easy thing to get into that you know just victim mm -hmm. like woe is me or you you get you shoot all these things because you know these people and you do this because of that and there's always you know a reason why somebody's you know got it better but i guess 
you know, so with with Jeremy, like I started just wanting information, and then it, I was like talking to my wife one night, and I was like, you know, this guy's got these really amazing animals, but I, you know, his his website's not very good, and his logo, you know, I think I could make his logo better, and and she was like, well, why don't you just, you know, ask him if he, you know, is kind of like that, and I kind of talked to him, and he, he didn't seem real interested, you know, and I think he still thought I was kind of a a weirdo. And, uh, and, uh, this was back probably five years ago or something. And, um, but then I just decided, you know what, I'm just gonna, I started fiddling with this logo because I have a, I have a design background. And, uh, so I came up with the, the, the current logo that we have today and kind of just sent it to him and he's like, you know, and it it kind of, at first he was still real hesitant. He said, well, that's kind of cool. And, um, and the, but then he said, well, you know, he's like, well, what do you think about the website? And I was kind of like, well, honestly, like, I think it could be a lot better. I don't think it really showcases what you're doing. And so, um, he said, well, you know, are you interested in like looking at it? And so I gave him like a really cheap price just because I selfishly like wanted to do it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, it was more of a selfish thing than anything is like, basically I'll do it, you know, for half the cost just so I can do it. And, and it was kind of a real funny thing, but anyways, it, it, he kind of saw, I think, the the skill set that I had and the value that I had, and we, we just started, like, talking more and, and really got to know each other, and uh, and there's very few people, like, that I really kind of get along with, especially, like, in a partnership type thing where you're always dealing with somebody, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, because typically you'll butt heads about something, but with uh, Jeremy and I, he he's good at what he does i'm good at what i do and we both realize that and we stay out of each other's way and then kind of the common ground is that we just we love hunting and we're i think that we're both kind of good at it and i i'll give jeremy a you know a lot of props and in in the information that he's given me and how much he's he's taught me and i just you know i i pass it on where where i can but uh i I think it's so important to go out and and find guys that are doing what you want to do Yep. And, uh, and, and just be the biggest sponge possible. Like Rob said, I mean, just if, if they're willing to talk, um, you, you know, listen and, and, and find, find the, the right people. I mean, um, you know, and there's, there's a lot of, you know, people out there that I listen to, but you know, Jeremy's just one of my close friends and, um, but yeah, that's, that's what, you know, helped me a lot. And I, and so I try to, you know, any way I can, I have guys that, you know, message me on Facebook or this and that and ask about certain things. And it's just always good to, you know, pay it forward. I built some guy out of Texas, um, a younger guy that's just getting started and he's coming out here to Colorado for, he's doing the whole 30 days. Like he's serious. Like Whoa, he's, com- nice. he's, he's coming to kill an elk. Um, but he, he said, hey, I saw what you were, you know, responded, and I kind of wanted to know more about what you're saying. I, I don't know anything about elk, but I want to know more. And so, you know, he he was just kind of open. And so I just, with those kind of people, I'll, I'll open up. But when I feel like I'm wasting my time, then if, if you don't really want to hear what I'm saying, some sometimes I feel like guys want ask, but they don't really want to hear it. Yeah, they don't want to listen. Yep. And so I, I've kind of used to get caught up in social media stuff of trying to defend this and that, but I really tried to pull away from it um, quite a bit. Like I'll I'll make a comment, and I don't really try to calm it down or cram it down people's 
throat. And I feel like that, that helps a ton because I've had multiple mm-hmm. people say, Hey, I, I, I read what you wrote and you weren't really kind of pushing it on people, but what were you saying about this or that? And I said, you know, here, here's what I know. And here's what's, you know, kind of changed stuff for me, like take a look at it and then I'll refer them to Ashby's stuff or to other, you know, other references or, you know, watch these videos or that. And if you have any questions, like, let me know, because the thing is, is if you just turn them on to good information, you don't have to sit there and really talk too much. Let, you know, Ed, Ed's done such, such a good job of it anyway, that mm-hmm. if, the, if they listen to him, yeah. they should be either heading in the right direction or they just saying this guy's bogus and they don't buy it. Um, but you've still planted that seed in their brain. So if yeah. something all of a sudden starts coming back, they say, well, you know, what yeah. about that Ashby guy? Yeah. And what yeah. what about that Ashby guy? Or I, yeah. I remember hearing something from him about this. And uh, If you handle the situation right, that's one of the better outcomes is yeah. if you don't alienate them, if you don't, you know, make them feel like an idiot, and you just kind of plant that seed, you know, make the couple of comments, put them on some information. And even if they're not ready for it, it's there. And now a year, couple of years down the road, they have those couple of failures that we, you know, talked about earlier. Yep. And they're going, okay, what was that stuff that that guy was talking about again? And they, And then they start actively looking and now they're open and they're willing and wanting to figure something out. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if you handle it right, it, it comes back full circle. Yeah, and I just learned that when you try to cram it down people's throat, it just loses flavor real quick. And, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. You, well, you, and gotta you don't know people's situations. That's, yeah. Like, I mean, dealing with people in person, like I did for the last how many years at the shop that I was helping run. Like, you have no idea this person's experience. You have no idea what this person has seen, what their friends, family, whoever they hunt with has has done. And you making some offhand comment that, you know, rage sucks or this sucks or, you know, you're an idiot if you do this. And for all you know, that guy has been using that setup Mm -hmm. that you just, you know, trashed for years with nothing but success. Yep. You just made yourself look like a fool. Yeah. In his a, mind. Yeah, you're an idiot. Yeah. And uh, because from his viewpoint, he's going, he's saying the stuff that I use is junk, but yet I've killed how many animals? I haven't had a single problem. Mm-hmm. And like, what's this guy smoking? Yep. And it's just, you have to approach it right because... Yeah, if, it's it's certainly all situational. It is. It is. <clears throat> and you know, and I I think that you know just bashing stuff and and I used to be that way. I used to say, "Oh, you know, these suck and don't don't use them." But it, it, I was speaking from my perspective and my yep. experience, and I've never been uh, you know, I I'm not this guy that's hunted whitetails 
his whole life or or just have a Lena or it, it, it doesn't matter. It varies so much in, in, in different guys and in their hunting styles and where they hunt and what they hunt that to say that is a, is a little bit asinine. And, and I had to catch myself and say, okay, like what I use doesn't work for everybody because what other people use doesn't necessarily work for me. And you have to be a little bit open to that. And yeah, it, mm-hmm. you know, and in nine times out of 10, it, it may work flawlessly 99 times out of a hundred, it may work flawlessly and they may not have had a problem yet. And, you know, good for, good for them because that's, that's ideal, right? We're all trying yeah. to get away from having problems, recover, recover our animals. And it, it just really has to sort itself out out for itself and 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 in their world if all of a sudden they get to a failure and then they may have back-to-back failures or maybe it's you know one two failures of the same same type like maybe 20 years ago i hit a deer in the shoulder and i got no penetration and now you know 20 years later it happened again like it, I may, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the hundred year flood. Sometimes it happens back to back and sometimes it doesn't happen for five, 500 years, but yeah. you know, the, you want to try to prevent something. And that guy might say, what if this happens again next year? But what if it's, and for me, it's like, I, I invest so much and it's so important to me that I'm not willing to put it on the line. I'm, I'm, I'm w- more willing to in, you know, invest in something that I think that I believed that has more capability of giving me success. And that's, it's, it's an insurance policy. I'm minimizing, you know, yeah. Well, and that's my how, chance of failure is all I'm doing. Look at it. Like we know that the, the industry norm setups can and, and do work. Right. Sure. I mean, people go out and use them all the, the time. And they do work. And so that's where I, you know, I try and keep that in mind when I have someone, especially someone that's had success. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I fall back on my, you know, it's all a system and like every bit is an improvement. Mm -hmm. It's not that this is going to fail. It's that if you do this or you do this and this, it's an improvement. It's a step towards a higher probability of success. Yeah, it's and, it's more energy downrange. It's more a greater yeah. efficiency, which all translates to better penetration, to yeah. you know, a better uh, possibility of recovering an animal, more tissue when cut, etc. I, mean, I I always kind of you know tie everything back to the twelve factors, and like even if we don't change weight. You know, the guy's set, he, you know, whatever the case, just not ready, not, it's not the right time to change weight. But, you know, a broadhead change can have astronomical levels of change, you know, difference in pen, penetration potential. Mm-hmm. You know, going from something that's a half MA to a two, you know, that is a significant change. And it doesn't have to require a, a perceived change from the shooter's aspect. Um, having a little bit of a weight bump, but getting the front of center up. You know, every little piece is a step in the right direction. And, and if 
if that person then goes out and has success with it, and especially if something does happen and they have success where they've failed previously, now now that that bug is is there. And now, like you mentioned before, now that's where you go, okay, well, we made this change. What about a little more? What about that next step? And you start just piecing things together, and next thing you know, you've got a phenomenal setup. You know, it might take a couple of years, but it's it's a process. Yeah, I mean, you just start learning and you start analyzing every piece of your setup like much different. Like initially, like I didn't, I didn't, an, I didn't. There was, I didn't know what to analyze. But now I'm like, okay, is it two two piece construction? What type of steel is it? What's the ferrule transition like? Is uh, if it's two pieces, the ferrule is it steel or is it aluminum? And you know, what's the mechanical advantage? Does it have a tanto tip? Is it single bevel? Is it yada? You know, you start rolling these things through your mind and instantly you can start processing that stuff and you can get to a point, you know, really quickly. Whereas before it was like, you know, all this stuff, it's like, well, I don't know what a tanto tip does. And then you're like, well, you realize that if a tip bends, all of a sudden you're creating a ton of drag and also inducing the possibility of a deflection off of a bone, which can change arrow, you know, arrow course if you've got a rolled tip mm -hmm. on. Uh, so things can really change course because of, because of one little minute, you know, detail or one little minute failure. It doesn't have to be catastrophic, but a minor, a minor defect can, can, can cause a or catastrophic yep. failure, you know, and not that you always know that, but, uh, you know, it's like I had a, I had a, a good, uh, another good buddy of mine and I won't mention his name, but, um, he, he showed up to my house and, and he's a, he's, he's a gun guy. Well, he's a gun and a bow guy, but he understands bullets and he's a, he's a gun nut and he understands weight. He understands momentum. And so when I started talking to him in terms, you know, of rifles and yep. trying to relate arrows, he said, ah, he says like, this makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Guy, and, you notice the guys that do like hand loads and stuff, they, they catch oh, he, on to this way quicker. Yeah. He's super, you know, super into that oh, stuff. It's and, also the know. same guys that are anal retentive and OCD about yes. their equipment. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're, you know, we're, we're not, you know, everyday guys. We've, we've got an issue or I certainly do. My, my wife will, will remind me, but, um, <laughs> But anyways, he, he, so he's got the PSE full throttle and I think it was a fastest production bow. It was like the IBO and it was like 370. Yeah, so like a 360, yeah, 370. Yeah, 70, like, almost yeah. 370 or something like that. So, and he's, he's a big guy. He's about my size. He's 6'3", probably 230 pounds. And, uh, and he brings this thing out and we're just kind of getting into arrows and I'm, you know, I'm telling him I'll go through it with him. And so he brings, he brings his, the arrows that he has, and instantly I know his field tip is smaller than his shaft. Mm. And so I instantly see that, and I, I realize the, the drag component associated with, yep. with this arrow setup. That he has no clue, right? It, it doesn't register into his mind because he just hasn't been... He hasn't been turned on to it yet, but I, I don't say anything, you know, and his, his air weight was, you know, it wasn't bad. I think it was in the 400. So it's not like it's sub 400. And, uh, we, we kind of tune up and we go out and we're shooting this. I have a big, like 48 by 48 block, uh, foam, kind of that layered foam target. 
and uh, we're shooting it. And, you know, and his, his penetration just in the foam is kind of suffering, and I can tell. And I don't have my bow, but I go in and I get my wife's 37-pound bow, and I've got her like a six. She shot a turkey with it, and it was still like a 650-grain arrow. And uh, and not to mention, she freaking smoked the thing, and it just smoked through him like butter. But uh, That's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. And it, so it was a good experience for her. And uh, But anyway, so I go get her arrow because I've got a bigger field tip on there. And then I've got an outsert that fades really quickly. This was at the beginning of the, the Valkyrie era when uh, Brent was making the the 80 grain. I think they were 80 grain um, steel outserts that basically mm-hmm. s- they started yep. tapering immediately. Yeah, because they were so big on the front. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I put a field tip on there, and I went out, and I just wanted to show him something. So, and I didn't know if I was going to out penetrate him or not with her bow, but I loaded one up, a heavy arrow with that, you know, that system, and I was getting about three inches more penetration. And granted, her arrows were a little bit shorter, so I think we figured it out that it was like an inch, you know, still getting an inch right. more penetration, and right. he was furious, like. Fastest bow on the market. Oh yeah, he, your wife's. Yeah, and my, my my wife, and it, you know, I was like, look, hey, it's it's this is no big deal. I just wanted to show you how such you know such a small thing can have such a huge impact in in your success. This one little thing that you, it's flying under your radar, but to me, I was like, uh oh, and so all we did was throw a different diameter point on there. And got it bigger, and all of a sudden his 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 penetration increased, um, you know, a ton. And yeah. then and and then from that one that one demonstration, he was sold. It was like okay, any of the I said little thing like the devil's in the details. And it wasn't always that way for me. I, I didn't understand it, and I would go out and I didn't understand all these different components, and that this had to be bigger than that. And that, and once I showed him that, he was like, "Hey, you just tell me what to do, and I will do it." Because he he saw the value in that one in that one simple change, and how much more he got out of what he, you know, his his system and his setup, and. And that's the way it is with a lot of guys. You just have to show them how one little thing can have such a big impact. And a lot of guys, if you, it's like with, uh, you know, light arrows, a lot of guys that say, would you rather get hit in the neck with a cotton ball going 500 feet a second or a lead ball going 250 seconds? You choose, but I'm shooting you with one. You know, and a lot of guys are mm-hmm. like, well, uh, yeah, I don't want to get shot with a lead <laughs> ball in the neck. Right. I don't care right. how fast it's going. And, you know, or I said, okay, well, what about a baseball? Like, here, I'll give you this little pebble that weighs a fraction of what my baseball does. Let's see who can out. A wiffle you know. ball or a baseball, same size. Yep. Yeah. You know, let's see who, I'll bet you 100 bucks I can throw this farther than your little light pebble. And simple things start making, you know, will will translate easier, I found, mm-hmm. than going into real complicated principles. Um, and then, you know, it's just telling them, okay, well, if you have something really light, like external, um, forces are going to, they're going to play on that a lot more than they will. more. Yeah. Yeah, I said, if, if I, if I roll, you know, a basketball down a hill at you, you're going to be able to stop it. If I throw my car in neutral and turn it loose on you, you're going to get leveled. 
So yeah. you have you have to understand <laughs> the value of weight, and you know your you know and just the laws of physics here, and you know and they the transcending into bullets or what if you're into that or or arrows. And so you know really for me I've I've just tried to dumb it down with uh with guys especially if I can beat you know if we're in the same place you can kind of do little things. But even if you just kind of tell guys those simple little things like it it, it instantly something starts to click in in their mind and then. Like even my pin gap, my pin gap on my arrow, like my 20 to 30, my 30, 40, 50, 60, they, they don't really spread out, you know, that much. They grow a little bit, but it's more of just a cleaner arc. When you look at a lighter system, your 20 and 30 are crammed. Your 30 and, you know, 30, 30 and 40 start to get bigger. And then your 40 and 50 really start to grow and your 50 and 60 start to grow even more. And you can really kind of, think about that the arc of that arrow the trajectory it's starting out really flat but it's starting to die really hard right and, and normally within bow hunting you know bow hunting distances it, it's kind of acceptable and that you don't notice it it's really the test is when you get out further and where that that heavy arrow will start out you know the energy retention in that weight and that that heavier arrow when you get out to certain distances where the heavy arrow will start to win out yeah, I mean, and, the inertia maintains the speed, mm -hmm. and the more consistent the speed is, the more consistent the arc. Yep. I mean, that's like my 950s, my gap does not change from like 50 to like almost 80. Yeah, it's like, so much it's more. It's just the same gap. Yeah, and if you compare pins to a lighter setup, the oh, funny yeah. the funny thing is, is your twenty and thirty may be stacked tight, and then your thirty and forty, you know, still pretty tight. Growing. But then they grow when you compare the overall distance between the light setup and and say my I'd say mine's still fairly moderate. You know, the overall distance isn't that far off. Yep. Um, you know, mine might grow a little bit, but I guarantee you if you kept it going into like an 80, 90 and a hundred pin, all of a sudden, like mine would be smaller and theirs would start to, you know, theirs would grow beyond mine. Um, it drops like a rock. You do, you, you know, wind is a huge faster and, oh, yeah. you know, depending on your broadhead, um, you know, and that's the thing with like mechanicals, mechanicals, I don't think came from a bad place. It was really... You know, when I think about a bow and I think about the, the times I beat my, I mean, I still beat my head. I still call Rob. I still call different people and I'm saying, Hey, you know, what, what's going on or what am I missing? And, um, it, it can be a complicated thing. Is it, do, am I twisting a cable? Am I dealing with a spine issue? Am I getting, am I having clearance issues? And so you kind of just have to go through, you know, all the different steps and start ruling things out. It's, it's a process of elimination sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, and some guys that are just better at it than, than others and they're more experienced. And, uh, but when you, oh, Matt, now where was I going with that? Um, <laughs> oh, so the, you know, with, uh, you know, like, expandable broadheads yeah it, it, being such a complicated things for a lot of guys it's over it's overwhelming and why is my broadhead hitting six inches to the left or to the right especially when we were coming from a fixed blade you know prior to that it was all fixed blade heads 
and then the introduction of the compound and it introduces some new challenges well guys you know guys were just trying to find a way to 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 alleviate all this headache you know and and find something that flew a little bit you know closer and then um, you know, there there may be. I think that you know, with the compound, they they really wanted to set themselves apart from trad bows, and the speed was speed was the seller, right? All of a sudden, oh, like yeah. you're getting these crazy speeds, and then weight went down because if you drop weight, your speed goes. You can advertise higher speeds, and now you've got a better selling point, and and so you kind of chase. I think there were some things like initially that guys. By trying to market a product it, it, that really stuck, that really didn't translate well into hunting, yep. um, it was more of just a marketing tool. And, uh, you know, I see that. But anyways, getting back to I – I see that, you know, like expandables and where, where they were but or where they're coming from in some sense. But to me, the thing I love about a big broadhead is, is it tells me where I've got problems. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. You screw that thing on, and it's going to say, you thought you had it figured out, Neil, but you've still got a little bit of a problem, and I'm going to let you know what's going on. And, you know, that's that's the thing for me is I, I love it for, for that reason is just putting it on there and saying, okay, uh, you know, I know I was pretty close on paper, but here's how I'm really going to fine-tune this thing. And for me, the fine-tuning is just when you can get your broadhead and your field point to, to react the same, you know you've got a well-tuned system, a well-tuned arrow and a well-tuned bow. Yep. And, and, and ultimately, that's, that's what you're after, right? That's all I'm that's after is I just want my bow to be as tuned as possible. And I want my arrow to be as tuned as possible, so my arrow is flying down, down range with as much energy and as much ability to do as much work as possible when it hits that animal. That's exactly. all there is to it. I feel like this conversation is a great example of surround yourself with the people that are better than you, because that's exactly what I've done. Surround yeah. myself with two guys that are way smarter than me, and I think it's starting to rub off a little bit. Well, and any day you think you're that smart, it's it's always not to me. It's oh. always nice to you know th- to find the guys <laughs> that that are you know that are smarter than you. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, or well, it, if you don't I, learn anything when you're the, the smartest person in the room. Yeah, yeah. If you're the smartest person in the room, you should immediately leave until you find people that are more intelligent than you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I'm I'm always that way. When you get to a certain level in your life, I don't care if it's your business or if it's your hunting or your relationship with your you know, you, you've got to keep finding people to push the envelope. Otherwise you're either, you, you're, you know, you're going to stay in that, uh, that level and well, you're not going to push in past my if mind, you want to grow. There, there's no such thing as like stationary. No, you're either going that's, forward or you're going back. There's no exactly. other, there's no either, other way. Either you're climbing that hill or you're sliding down. You're exactly right. I totally and that. that's the minute. At least for me, the minute that I take my foot off the pedal, I slide right into a hole and I just like mentally am just out of it. Yeah. And, then and you, it's and like, I got to dig myself back out and then I'm good and then I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But it's like, if I take my foot off the pedal, it just like... I'm, just like what is going on what why am <laughs> well and just those people having you around you can get out of a hole or a slump so much oh, faster yeah. when you've got yeah. good people and you know and it's not even it can't even personal i mean like with 
with mule deer, it's so wide open, but it's like where we hunt, it's, it's, it is wide open, but it's amazing how they can just disappear. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're targeting a single animal. And I remember part of, you know, early and, you know, with Jeremy, it with him, it was, you know, he just drilled it into me. They're there. And you're, when your mind starts playing tricks on you, oh, they, they're rutting, he ran off, or, you know, or he got hit by a car, or somebody else already killed him, or this, and Jeremy's, Jeremy would tell me, he's there. He said, I don't care if you have to go back for eight days to the exact same spot and look at the exact same piece of ground, just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, you know, he shows up and I just, I smile every time it happens because, you know, and the older I get, I just, I, I realize how much patience, how important it is in hunting. And, you know, sometimes it's run and gun and it pays off, but, you know, patience is, it's so deadly when you really, mm-hmm. when you yeah. start getting a hold of it and you start getting a hold of your mind. And, you know, and I'm going to plug somebody here, another guy that helped me, a, a good buddy of mine, uh, Joel Turner. And oh, yeah. if you know Joel, oh, yeah. and Joel changed my, my life in, in elk calling. He came out here and hunted with us in, uh, in Colorado one year. And just being around him for a weekend and absorbing, he, he was another guy that I sponged off and I still do. But then Joel will take you to a place in your mind that didn't even, you may not know it exists or he, it wasn't defined in the way that he defines it where he's able to just kind of clear it up for you. And you're like, oh yeah, but Joel's an incredibly smart guy and he, he's good at a, it, it can, controlling his mind. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one thing I've learned with, with, uh, archery too, it's such a mental game and you, you've, you you can be the best shot on a target, this and that, and I, I still get rattled. And if I I guess mm-hmm. if I didn't get rattled, I've heard a lot of guys say I don't know if I would do it. And I think that that's the way I am. If it didn't rattle me, I don't know if I would feel the same about it. Maybe, but yeah. um, but being control in that in that situation, it's pretty powerful because it, it it puts you in control of a lot of other situations in your life. I mean, I think back to losing my mom and my daughter. And I, I think back to not knowing, not, you know, not psychiatrists, not, you know, people of that nature, but knowing Joel and him teaching me about my mind and knowing yeah. Jer- Jeremy and him teaching me about my mind and guys, guys in, in the hunting community that to where I'm, I mean, when you like the man, I thought when there was shit going wrong in my life prior to that, I look back now and that shit looks, it seems pretty damn trivial because, you know, you lose your mom and then your daughter back to back. And, you know, it's like, I, I, I can't imagine that happening in a different time in my life or when I, when I was younger and how I would have dealt with that. But, uh. I'm pretty, I'll say that I'm pretty proud with the way that I dealt with it and was able to kind of be there for my wife and, uh, and kind of keep stuff together. And, uh, yeah. And it, it but it's so, it, you know, back to it, it's so important to, to be around good people. And especially if you want to, you know, you want to do good things and you're hunting and just find somebody. Um, if you don't know how to tune a bow, find somebody that needs, knows how to tune a bow if they say they know how to tune a bow and they don't know how to tune a bow and you're still frustrated go find somebody else yeah and uh just uh 
you know, don't give up. And that's, that's one of the biggest things with my hunting. I mean, like I said, I didn't really start turning it on to 2012. So anybody out there that's, that's listening, um, you you know, yeah, yeah. you've got plenty of time. I mean, you can gain confidence and you can gain success, you know, quickly, especially if you're in a good environment and you're willing to put in the work. Well, and that's the key thing is just the dedication. If you want to do something, settle in, learn it, do it. Yeah, you, you, you can't half-ass any. If you half-ass it, that's just expect the, the same results. You might get lucky here and there. Um, but I don't, I just, it's not going to be as consistent for you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the guys that I know do well, like I think about, I think about Jeremy a guy that has done extremely well, a guy that I, that I look up to, he, you know, and that, that's what made me, I had people in my family said, Neil, have you ever thought about being a guide? No, I have no interest to go hold somebody's hand and ruin my time in the woods. (laughs) And, and once again, I, I was wrong. I really was. Um, you know, by kind of getting involved with Jeremy and then, you you know, we kind of just, it made sense for us to do some stuff together and, you know, realizing that a lot of guys, these guys are serious and there's guys out there, not only in archery that know more than I do that show up, they're paying for a fairly expensive hunt. So they must be doing something well in their business. Yeah. And I don't know how many times I drive around and I just listen to them and they're, you know, they think they're there to learn something from me. And I'm like, Hey, you know, can we, (laughs) can we keep talking about your business or what I was doing? And, you know, you'll find yourself growing in so many different ways. And absolutely. And, uh, it's just seizing the opportunities when they arise. Yeah. And those, if, if you've got someone that's a master at their craft, listen, you yeah, know, I mean, what's there to lose? Even even if it's not something that you're like particularly interested in, because yeah. then you can see how they approach. Their yeah, their craft. approach. How, how did how yeah. did they become a master at this? Well, these are the things that they implemented, the things that they did. Okay, I'm going to take those same things and implement them into the things that I want to become a master of. So try and those that... same principles in your business or whatever, or if you're hunting, even if it's different stylistically, there may be nuances that you, you know that are a little bit different, but uh, but you know, ninety percent of it may may translate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Man. So. But you know, yeah, and that, I'm gonna start a Fortune 500 company. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there, there you go. But uh, but it is, and uh, you know, you get out there and you go to different places and hunt different things, and and like uh, you know, the there's there's always something to to gain. There's always something to learn by even going on a fence hunt. And a, a lot of people may boo me for for going over there and doing that. And and I don't, you know, I don't really care to be honest. Um, I had I had fun and I learned a lot. I got new perspective from it. And yeah. I re- I realized I realized that I'm I may be an anomaly in that world. And for a guy that's at the the end of his hunting career. You know, I fear the day that I have to put my bow down, but I'm not, I'm not going to be ignorant to, to, to that. And I'm not going to ignore the fact that, that it will happen. And I may go back to shooting a rifle and I may, I may be in that position. So, you know what? And if I still want to hunt, I'm going to go do it. 
Well, have I taken up enough of your guys' time? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we are creeping up on uh, two and a half hours. So I, I mean, we could, I could go all night. Well, but, uh, and, and that's I, the I know, thing. I know. Like, I mean, yeah. anytime that you and I talk, Neil, it tends to go on for hours. So yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. nothing new. <laughs> I can talk, and I, I love talking. You know, and the the other plug I should make is is for my wife. She's she's uh, been such a a good sport about everything and she tolerates me being away and uh, supports my passion. And, and, you know, she was actually a huge advocate, you know, for my mind and turned me on to a, you know, a lot of things that just started some, you know, some growth and, uh, and, you know, your, your, your marriage, your friends, everybody, you, you know, I just, uh, you got to be careful with who you let in. Yeah. Completely and, agree. You know, and I've kind of just dismissed some people from my life that I thought were some pretty good friends. But at the end of the day, uh, I just felt like for for myself and um, I just had to do it. It's not that I put them down or, uh, you know, like made an announcement. Hey, you're no longer my friend. It's just you kind of distance yourself and uh, especially slip away and. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, but, I've had to, I mean, I've had to do that even in my, uh, with friends, uh, because of my marriage, just I've, I've good buddies I grew up with and continued to hang out with. And then as, you know, when I was married, realized, oh man, maybe this person isn't the best influence and just kind of, the, the, the viewpoint changes a little bit and you go, right. man, some mm-hmm. of this stuff we're doing just, uh, yeah. I don't know if that's the smartest call anymore. Yeah. 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 We, we used to do those all-nighters at the bar and, uh, oh. you know, there there, yeah. there, there, was nobody to, to, you know, answer to at the end of yep. the night. And I could, yeah. be, I could be selfish then. And, uh, but, but now, you know, you kind of, you kind of have to yeah, answer to somebody and you have to know that there's, there's somebody else on the other side of that. And so it just doesn't yeah. make sense. And if, you know, and, and in their life, if they're not married, I dealt with some of that too. And, uh, sure. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, they, they don't think they're doing anything wrong. They're just, they're not married and they're always wanting to go do this or do that. And you just, you, you know, your priorities yeah. kind of change a little bit. Yeah. And, and they aren't necessarily doing anything wrong either. No, because no, it's, not at all. Uh, you know, it's, it's just that they're living their life and nothing wrong with that. But yeah, when you have other people in your life, you need to uh, give give yourself to, and that's uh, that kind of changes things. Yep. Well, speaking of uh, uh, getting calls, uh, Rob it continues to get calls, so maybe maybe we should should wrap this guy up. Yeah. Uh, he, he's uh, he's still on call, still getting phone calls at eleven at night now. My goodness, poor guy. Uh, well, uh, Neil, um, I I hope that you want to come back on and we've been we've been talking for a while and uh i know you've you've been uh, i won't i won't say too much but i know you've been working on uh, something for a couple years now and i think we're getting closer to it so whenever you are ready yeah. to chat about that we'll have you have you back on but we'd uh we'd also have to have you on you're about to leave here in a couple of days to go uh go chase some some elk so whenever uh or you're done with that, come back and tell us about all your adventures. Hopefully it's uh or or not hopefully it's more than a one day uh one day hunt. Yeah, no, yeah, we get uh ready to leave here in a few days and kick the season off, so it's always an ex you know, exciting time in the the year and yeah the you know we have been working on something for a, a couple of years and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag right now, but uh <laughs> uh you know, I hope everything kind of, we've been waiting on some, the, the 
person I've been working on it with has kind of just been dealing with some health issues and yeah. um, first and foremost, we're just ready for him to be, be healthy. And then yep. hopefully we can continue to pursue what we were working on. But uh, yeah, it, it, it would be fun to come and kind of uh, to launch that or at least kind of, you know, drop the ball on that on the, on the podcast. And uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So something our listeners I think will enjoy. Yeah, they're probably like... I think so. (laughs) We'll just say that. We'll just say that. Uh, Cool. Well, thank you so much, Neil, for uh, for being... uh... Uh, being a part of this and uh and being a friend really i mean just you know like kind of we've talked about this whole podcast just surround yourself with uh, uh with good people iron sharpens iron and uh hopefully we can uh continue to sharpen each other as we try to improve our bow hunting selves moving forward yeah exactly you, you bet so uh yeah thanks for having me on guys if you want me to come back let me know but uh i'll just uh keep you updated with how season's going and how stuff's going and yeah just absolutely wonderful keep hammering all right cam cool well thanks everyone for uh tuning in and until next time stay lethal and don't forget the olive oil